When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Silence were created by man. They rebuild. They evolve. They look and feel human. So we're programmed to think they are human. So say we all. Hey, hey, hey. That was really awkward. Welcome to another episode of Galactica, actually. I am A. Diallo Jackson. This is Galactica, actually. My co-host is... Jamie Smith. And today we have a very special episode. Not only are we covering Exodus Part 2, which is has one of the greatest moments in Battlestar Galactica for myself, but we also have a very special guest today, my friend, Jason, 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 Inman, Inman, Inman. Hey, Jay. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thank you. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you okay. off. I've cut you. See, I've already screwed up. You want to take, take two? You want no, to no, it's all no, good. No, we're good. <laughs> we're, okay. We're okay. good. All right. I, this is, I'm just gonna this blame is live this, and messy. So. I'm just going to blame that the Cylons got in the way. But uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Battlestar Galactica is a show that is uh, very special to me that I also forgot so much about it when I rewatched this episode. So I'm very excited to chat about it. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we were talking a little bit offline, and anyone that's been listening to the podcast knows that as much as I know about uh, Battlestar Galactica, I have forgotten so much as well. So things are kind of fuzzy and cloudy as I, uh, you know, move forward through it. And I'm holding myself to watching an episode per week, so I haven't even, like, gone ahead, so that makes it even more... Oh, no skipping ahead. Yeah, oh, yeah. Interesting. I'm trying to recreate how I used to watch it back when I first watched the show um, for the first time. So back in, like, normally when I do a rewatch, it's, you know, I'm watching, like, five or six episodes at a time, and then I, you know, take a day break, and then I do it again. But this time I'm going week by week, and... uh it's both fun and frustrating because, like, I just could not wait to watch this episode. <laughs> and just holding myself off has was been a chore. But it all paid off. So, welcome. Thank you for uh, joining us this episode. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, most people will probably know me from the Geek History Lesson podcast, which uh, we just crossed our 10th year which I never thought is something that I'd ever say. 
Uh, but beyond that, uh, I, I'm a writer. Uh, I work in television. I've worked on Star Trek Section 31, The Code, um, and I also write a bunch of comic books like Super Best Friend on Kickstarter. But I'm a big Midwestern sci-fi writer geek, and uh, I actually have, fun fact, I, if I may, I have a personal sort of tie to Battlestar, and specifically Diallo, to how like you were talking about watching it, if I may. Yes, absolutely. So I actually... Uh, first watch Battlestar because I bought the DVDs after I came back from my deployment from Iraq because I'd come back I'd been I basically had been deployed for a year and I'd come back and one of my friends said hey have you seen this new Battlestar Galactica and I was like no how do I watch it and he's like oh it's on sci-fi and I didn't have cable so I went and bought the DVDs and it's very fitting as well that this is the episode or very close to the episode that I come on the podcast because the DVDs that were available were everything up to season three? Yeah. What year so was this? I, I'm sorry. Uh, this would have been 2006 ish, like right in there somewhere. But like by the time I caught up to Battlestar airing, it was the new Caprica arc. Okay. Is like is like where I now again I might be, you know I don't know some of the listeners some of the nerds might have the dates more exact, but like I remember like just like. St- you know, blazing through these DVDs and then getting to the cliffhanger of New Caprica, and then that's when I found out that I had to wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, so season three is sort of like the first season that, like, long ago, I got to watch it live. That's how I was with Buffy. I I started watching that show in season three as it was airing. I had to f- find ways to see the first two seasons because back then they weren't on DVD and then and I was watching it live week to week and trying to figure out what I'd missed like two full seasons of what I had missed so I get it this was also the error I found of people just trading DVD boxes of television because that was also a new thing because this is also that's also the same way how I discovered Firefly was because somebody literally handed me the DVD set and said you have to watch this that's how I started watching Doctor Who oh wow yeah. Yeah. I feel like both of you have had much more fulfilling lives because I was watching <laughs> every, almost everything in real time. <laughs> Me, I didn't have a lot going on, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you were just glued to your TV. I, I like it. I was. I, I, did, I did have to catch up for Buffy, but that was a. I had a weird reason why I, had, I didn't watch that from the start because uh, I. I uh, kind of in line with uh, what we're talking about, I was watching so much TV, I decided I was going to do a five-year plan, which was I wasn't going to start a new show for five years. And I was only going to watch what I continue to watch and let those shows get canceled, and then I start new shows. And Buffy came out that first year. And everyone was talking about it, and I was like, no, I'm going to hold myself to this. So I didn't really start watching it <laughs> until season six. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wow. uh, you had a five-year plan for watching television. I love this. Yeah, it was like it was. Just, I was watching too much. It was too much TV. Like I, you know, it was like wow. every day of the week. It was like something, you know. And, and that was and, back when there wasn't nearly as much TV as there is now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like now, now it is. Now I have fully accepted that there are television shows that I will never watch because there just is not enough time. Absolutely. And, uh, there are shows that have come out two three years ago on streaming that i still have not gotten around to and i'm just like ah, i don't know maybe mm-hmm. maybe i'll get around to them one day yeah yeah there's uh, so many things get recommended to me and i like i fully intend to i do want to watch it but 
I can't promise you when I'll get to it. And, you know, there's the things I really, really like I've started and I watched the first first episode or two and I was like, I really like that. And I just haven't gotten back to it like uh, Schitt's Creek, for example. That is one that you should get back yeah. to because they're, you're going to see a lot of Canadian actors that you've also recognized from Battlestar. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, I, it's funny because like I use it in memes all the time, which is <laughs> like that's a. That's the thing I love is, and I bet you two know this very well, is that because of Stargate and because of now current Star Trek, because current Star Trek shoots in Toronto, yeah. uh, but in the 2000s were all these shows that shot in Vancouver, you know, like Fringe and, and Stargate and The X-Files, mm-hmm. and um, there are these, you know, maybe it's just because of population size, right? But there is a smaller pool of Canadian actors, so you'll see the same ladies and gentlemen pop up across all of these shows. Um, like Leobon, the Cylon, I think I've seen in every show like that has ever shot in Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely did my, I mean, yeah, I've always, you know, seen actors here and there on different shows. Um, but for me, it was always uh, the forests always looked the same. Whenever <laughs> I was watching yes. Stargate or whatever. I was like, oh, there's Vancouver Forest. And Battlestar was the first show. I was really impressed. Battlestar was the first show that actually made those forests look, like, different or bigger or whatever, even though I knew it was the same the same place that they, you know. Although, although I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, this goes into our um, discussion today of this episode begins, right? Yeah. In a quarry. In a quarry, yeah, the quarry. Sort of a, yeah. yeah. Stargate has used that quarry. Oh, yeah. In, in like half of their 200 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, that... So it must be like the easiest quarry to get to right outside Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. They've used that quarry. I mean, they use, I think they use that quarry again in, uh, in Battlestar and they use another, there's like another set that they, they've used a couple locations before. There's like a lake setting that I've seen in different shows, yep. like uh, in Smallville and other stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Good times. Well, that was uh, Exodus Part 2. Thanks for joining, everybody. Um, no. Five out of five stars. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, yeah, so Exodus Part 2, um, we uh, it's actually kind of funny. There's a bunch of different episodes of shows called Exodus, um, including there's a Exodus two-parter on Season 1 of Lost, which is, is actually... True the perfect season of TV that Lost was. Uh, so um, there's also an extra, I, I was not being sarcastic. Uh, season one was a perfect season. Um, there's also an episode on T- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I found out that was titled Exodus also. So seems a pretty popular uh, episode title. One of the things I really love about this episode is that it starts really sort of like small and personal, and then it kind of moves bigger and larger to a more um, like kind of omniscient eye that we're used to with um, like typical sci-fi with um, with all the action scenes. And uh, kind of going back to, I think something I talked about on the last episode. One thing I really enjoyed about this episode is how we are. It's episode what five in the season? Um, this is four. Episode it's four. episode episode four, and like the uh, the fact that it takes a while for the status quo to be re- reestablished um, here, and it kind of 
it took me back a little bit to I noticed um you know I mentioned Deep Space Nine, but I also was kind of remembering um because I saw a commercial with this guy uh that I guess is on Secession. Um, but I didn't watch the session, another show I watched the pilot of <laughs> that that I intend to go back. But there's a character that I recognize from a show called uh, MI5 here in the United States. It's called Spooks over in England. And he was like a spy on the first couple seasons. And I remember how he was killed off in like two or three episodes into the season. And they typically do that in a lot of British shows. And um, I like how they kind of replicate that here in Battlestar. So it keeps you off balance and keeps you guessing as opposed to uh, shows here in the U.S. where we it tends to be in the finale where they would do any big sort of thing like that. So the episode, anyways, the episode starts on Pegasus, very small, personal, quiet scene. We have Lee and Dee, and they're going over administrative duties. Lee's wrestling with leaving the Galactica and New Caprica behind. Um, he's convinced that they, the Galactica won't, or the uh, survivors won't make it back. And then Dee says that they need to focus on the future. They need to find Earth um, because basically... No one will remember, remember uh, William, the William Adama that we all know. It's a little meta. There's a couple meta moments in this episode, actually. Um, but she kind of assures him that um, that uh, he he can like lead them to the new Earth. Um, he appreciates her for once, which yeah. like we I think when the last episode we talked about how he like he. He, he, him and D is like a really weird kind of like a dynamic and he doesn't really appreciate how awesome she actually is. Um, can we, can we, let's, let's talk about this a little yeah. bit. I would love to dive into this because I would love to hear your thoughts as like the Battlestar podcast host because I don't think D and, um, God help me, uh, um, uh, Apollo, um, <laughs> I can't pull his name. Uh-huh. Um, Adama, I don't think they really work as a couple. I, to me, this feels like in the writer's room, especially with Ron Moore, they picked D because they thought she would be the most surprising choice to see that that's who he ended up with. Mm-hmm. What, what, do you, what do you both feel about D and Adama as a couple? Jamie, you want to take that? This is something that we've talked about quite a bit because Lee sucks. And he <laughs> treats... <laughs> he, 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 yeah. tr- he treats Duala... Like she is a consolation prize and it's just gross. Like she's amazing and she he does not deserve her. Yeah. She is like so much better than he deserves and he's really, he's yeah. really mean to her. Yeah. Yeah. He's just so dismissive of her and like here he compliments her and it's maybe the only time we've ever seen him actually say something nice to her about her because all we've ever really seen him do is is basically whine and complain to her and then she just comforts him like she is his emotional support animal and it's just she deserved better that's that's generally how we feel yeah yeah jason like kind of speaking to what you said i i brought this up um before like from a writer's perspective um, it's pretty clear, and I I think I've heard 
uh, Ron Moore say this before, like basically they were always trying to find things for Lee to do. So they like, for whatever reason, he didn't really like want Lee to be like sort of like the Apollo from the original show. Um, mm-hmm. that was sort of like the stalwart hero all the time. Um, so he kind of starts out that way, but he, you know, it's not, it's not very interesting, you know, from a writing perspective. So they were always trying different things. And I think that that was one of them. So I do agree. Like, um, like D was probably like, it was an unlikely choice. Um, but you know, yeah. Well, I think, I think the characters or the actors had good chemistry towards the beginning uh, like when she was still with Billy and they would talk like when she helps him sort of, you know, do a coup, <laughs> like when he, <laughs> when he, I can't think of any other way to say it, but when he like sort of sides with Rosalind in the first season and she's sort of helping him along with that, they have good chemistry. And so I think that's probably where it started in the writer's room. Plus they needed to slow things down with the, Apollo Starbucks stuff you know just like Anders they need to put a, a wrench in that to drag it out but I think once they got them together they they stopped having him be cool and and he just is dismissive of her yeah they it's interesting because like you know one of the things that like shot back into my brain from rewatching this episode is that I you know it's hard not to look at this series like in the context of the entire story and I, I really do feel sometimes that the two most difficult characters on this show to write I think must have been Leodama and Starbuck and the only reason I make that theory is because some of the choices they make with both characters are wild <laughs> and mm-hmm. And I don't think really helped the show. Whereas, like, when you look at, like, Rosalind and, you know, Daddy Adama, like, I think every choice they make with those two are perfection. Um, And, yeah, you're right. Because Lee, he's not this hero. He's very much this person that's always questioning himself. And then, you know, like, again, thinking about this episode again, I forgot about Starbucks' fake daughter. And (laughs) I was like, that is a wild choice (laughs) for for this Mm -hmm. character. (laughs) <laughs> well, it would have been more wild if they'd let it actually be her daughter. Yeah, I actually wish they would have done that, actually. I think it would have been more interesting. Oh, see, I, I said on the last episode, like, I was really nervous when they introduced Casey because the last thing I wanted was Starbuck being like, how do I figure out how to be a mom now? Mm. And having this this child on the show, like, I just was not looking forward to that. And that's a typical thing that television does. They add in a little Moppet to make things cute or whatever. And I didn't want that. Look, I'm going to, I'm going to credit a statement that is to my wife who is much smarter and uh, much more beautiful than I am. And that is, she says a lot, no more children and no more animals on television. (laughs) And I, I kind of agree with her. I, I, so I'm, I agree 100% with you, Jamie. (laughs) <laughs> but but I but I think I think based on that's a little bit of my filter braid of like I know where they're going with Starbuck and so I was like well maybe the daughter would have been a little bit better I don't know because <laughs> I I'm I not a huge fan of where they take her from here. Yeah, I didn't really mind where they took her so because I find it weird and and interesting and at least in the context of being able to talk about the show I think it's going to lead to a lot of conversation. 
Diallo, can I also um, completely, because this is what you have when you have a madman like a, a, of a guest like me. Uh, no, I love I wanna it. Th- I want to like, throw uh, the table, because here's another comment. You're like the 10th doctor, well, and you're just <laughs> yeah, a madman in a box. Well, let's, I love, let's do this. I, I love like <laughs> talking to two Battlestar experts like you two, because like you, you, you are living the show, so you just, I think, have such a more interesting perspective than, you know, just the guy that comes on and just, you know, I watched this episode last night. So um, what do you feel... How do you feel about Pegasus and just in general context? Because, you know, we are hopping a little bit. This is this is, you know, sadly, our our last Pegasus episode. And um, I really like the Pegasus and I yeah. I I really miss it on the show past this point. I understand why mm-hmm. they did it. Um, and Diallo, uh, in one of the previous emails, you also mentioned that you were like, oh, I'd love to talk a little bit about like some of the military tactics of Battlestar. And yes. Yes. And the first thing you can always put in with that is that you always have to realize that, you know, with television, even on medical shows, you can do what's exactly real world right or you can do what works for the story. And in every chance, you're going to do what's right for the story. So sometimes Battlestar gets it exactly right. And sometimes I watch people on Battlestar friendly, almost friendly fire their neighbor. Uh, You know, they have a a (laughs) rifle pointed into their buddy. And I'm like, what are you doing there? Um, yeah. so there were some of the I watched Exodus part one as well to prepare for this and there were some of the stuff in the forest with the soldiers and I was like Whew, those Cylons would have smoked you um, uh-huh. <laughs> you, you are white out in the open everybody can see you but, they, but obviously they framed them for camera right so I can let it go um, but let's talk about the biggest tactical mistake in this episode and, and this is jumping wildly so if you're Commander Adama or, or you're Admiral Adama and you're talking to Commander Adama your son and you're like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna go with the, you're gonna go away with the newer ship, and you're gonna protect the fleet. That is a tactically smart and 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 you know that that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh-huh. The fact in the end battle that it's not the old ship Galactica that is the one that should be rammed into the base star, and they don't keep Pegasus is complete tactical nonsense. Why wouldn't you keep the newer ship? Uh, but I understand that the show is called Battlestar Galactica. But anyways, that's, every, that's the, why. The, yeah, <laughs> I, I thought yeah. about that too. I was like, man, that ship is beautiful. Yeah. it's big. It's powerful. Yeah, it's all big. Yeah. <laughs> look, just look at the look at the the the, the missiles on the front and the, the guns, and it's just yeah. so much more heavy. Well, since you've all been watching um, the show, you know, because for you, like Pegasus showed up what maybe ten episodes ago, right in the. <laughs> If that. It was mid season yeah, two, yeah, so mid, it's it, mid season yeah, two. Yeah, it's probably so how, been yeah, like about 10 15 episodes. episodes. How do you feel yeah. with watching all the episodes that you've watched that the Pegasus? Because I think I really love the Pegasus to stick around. But how do you feel about it since you're fresh in it? Like, do you think the Pegasus was it, too short, or should have stayed longer, or time to go? Yeah. So I mean, a couple of things. So back, like, we'll I think we'll talk about a little bit about how and i know i took us right to the end i'm sorry <laughs> yeah no, no, no that's fine but i think it, like kind of what you're talking about with like the writing and versus the uh versus like the tactical stuff there's a there's a big part of the commentary that ron moore actually talks about the first draft of that battle was completely different mm. and he was having trouble working it out i don't know why um it might have had to do with uh Again, like budget and everything. So, but initially it was, it was Pegasus and Galactica on the mission and Pegasus had to actually, like, it was more of like a, 
sacrifice that Pegasus made while Galactica like jumps out or something like that. And it looked like it was destroyed. So I agree with you because it makes a lot more sense that way. Um, and for whatever reason, it didn't like he couldn't work that out. Um, so there's that. That's that part. But then also what you're saying, yeah, tactically, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, um, there's there's an element of it that does where, like, if Adama is basically saying, um, we're going to try to get these people from New Caprica home, but that's not our main goal. Our main goal is that we the the human race needs to survive, and the maybe the best chance they have is with the bigger ship with uh, Pegasus continuing to uh, defend them. And Pegasus is bigger, um, like, uh, like actual size. Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's bigger. It's more, um, more advanced. They can like build new ship. They can do all kinds of stuff with it. Um, I think, I think cause like in the show, the battle, uh, the, in the miniseries, the Galactica was actually be about to be decommissioned. Mm -hmm. So it was being used. It's been, it's like 50 years old or something like that. 40, 50 years old. So, there, like, so there's that part, and then so Lee coming back in was like that's on Lee more than it is on Adama, but Lee, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. And then that's where you it kind of like folds into like the story thing. It's called Battlestar Galactica, and we sort of have like it's like a myth, mythical, mythical thing, right? Um, we need the Galactica to survive, and there's something. Robin Moore says this also. There's just something more poetic about it being like the last. Battlestar. Um, so you kind of want to get back to that at some point. Doesn't flow all the way. Um, now, as an old school Battlestar Galactica fan, yeah, let's get this. I was I was ecstatic when it showed up because that when you know back in the day that like I pretty much whenever I talked about the show over the years, like forget about most of the episodes, but it's like I always remember the the. So like the pilot movie, the premiere movie, and then we had always talk about the Pegasus. And then um, there's like the Ship of Light stuff that happens a little bit later. Other than that, it's like, you know, whatever. So it's like when they when the Pegasus came back, it was really great. And it was a little, for people that had watched the show, it was a little bit of a twist isn't the right word, but, you know, bucking our expectation because Pegasus shows up in the original show and it's like out almost immediately. So here it stays for a little bit, a little bit more. So you kind of know at some point it's going to go away. You just don't know when or how. So I don't know that I would have wanted to see it longer. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I did notice when we were doing the rewatch mm -hmm. is how much I, I, in my memory, like once the Pegasus showed up, it was like pretty stalwart in there every episode. And it wasn't actually, there was like a couple episodes where it featured, but there was some episodes there wasn't even a shot of it. So mm. it wasn't as forward in, uh, in our, uh, vision as it, like, as it seemed in my memory. So I don't know if I rambled, uh, out no, of that question. But, or... Cause you know, before we get to talk about the episode, we also have to talk about for me, I, I, I again, I love this. I love that. I've now turned this podcast into me interviewing the both of you. Um, so now I need to hear, <laughs> I dig now it. I'll let you get back into the episode and let, but, but real quick, I need to just need a simple yes or no. Do you like Admiral Adama with a mustache or without? Because I'm pro mustache. Dude, dude, I like I've always liked him without the mustache. But this time I was watching it and I was like, I literally was like, I kind of liked him with the mustache. I kind of wish he had kept it. I got used to it for some reason. 
I don't know. Jamie, I liked you? it. Um, I also completely understood the the symbology of him shaving it off. He's getting he got back into that like military leader frame of mind where like my understanding is in the military you cannot have facial hair. Incorrect. My really? Yeah, you can have a mustache actually and his mustache is regulation. The the thing that's not regulation mm-hmm. about his hair. Now, here's the other thing. The Caprica army might be completely different from the American army. So that's where I'm giving my thoughts. <laughs> sure. <on>. So <laughs> they might have different rules. It's his, it's the length of his hair that is actually his mm. hair is too long. Yeah. But no, you can yeah. have a mustache um and now, depending on certain missions, this changed uh, with Afghanistan because they found that some units will allow you to have a beard now because they found in some desert conditions it made it – you would actually, like, you know, really cut yourself trying to shave when there was sand blowing around everywhere. So they would mm. allow you to have a beard of a certain length. But no, mustaches – so he could have kept it. Okay. I thought it yeah. was like th- he's getting back into military shape and he shaved his mustache off because he grew it because he was depressed and yeah. wandering around his empty ship for four months or a year and four months or whatever. But I don't know. He looks good with both. Edward James almost so. always looks good. That's just the truth. Yeah, I, <laughs> I got used to him. I don't know. This time I got used to him with the mustache. And again, I've watched this a billion times. But this time I was like... I like the mustache when he was shaving it off. I literally was like, ah, should have kept it, actually. I don't know. There's all these military Um, guys in the show who suddenly have a bunch of facial hair. (laughs) Like Ty and Chief, like they down on on the planet, they just grew out their grisly little beards. Probably because they couldn't before. Yeah, as a visual language, again, like you said, Jamie, it absolutely, like, drives the point home and, and it's kind of attached to the whole husky lee thing yeah right? they, they yeah. really should have just let lee have a beard yep instead of yeah. a fat suit and that yeah it you know um it did not look i mean totally not for body shaming fat lee really it, man it is one of the moves of this show that i've always been like they should have never done that and it, it, it also it totally looks like he just has a pillow under his uniform. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not even a good bodysuit. <laughs> and I get this is a sci-fi show, but I'm like, come on. You guys could have, like, found a costume belly. It looks like a pillow. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of went off on it last episode. <laughs> I, you know, I just kind of, again, I think it was it was born out of them constantly trying to find things for lee to do and angles for him yeah. to have um so that he doesn't say stagnant because he like you said i think he's a, he uh, is a really difficult character to write yeah um and they they opted towards trying things like him with him and starbuck versus like pulling back um also those are like the two quote-unquote action characters of the show versus like Rosalind and adama so it's easier for adama and Rosalind to kind of like be who they are um, and not be as dynamic mm-hmm. um, um, and more organic. But these two, they had to, you know, they had to keep this, like, the excitement going. So they tried different things. And for him, that's the path they took. And it was ill-advised. And like I, like, I think, I think if they were to do it over again, they wouldn't make that choice. That's my personal thought. There's nothing out there that tells me that that's the case. But I just, you know, I just 
didn't really work. And and I noticed in this episode also, um, you know, I talked about it in the last in our last podcast how like when he is dressed up as like fat husky Lee, like he is almost like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even it's not even like the Lee Adama that we've known for like and you know everybody else for the most part seems like who they are. Ty maybe not so much to me, um, but Ty does a really good job of selling what who he is. So I'm like willing to buy into his crusty sea captain um, <laughs> persona that he adopts oh, when I'll, he's on New Caprica. I'll say this: Michael Hogan. Ty has always been my favorite character in the show. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's great. Yeah, and and a lot of that is because of Michael Hogan. And I, and just he is very much the chief O'Brien of this of this show. Um, and by that I mean is that if you've ever watched Star Trek: D Space Nine, in this show, again, Ron Moore worked on that show, and he brought a lot of that to mm-hmm. the show. They always had a thing where every season they would make the character Chief O'Brien suffer. They they would always write an episode where Chief O'Brien would just be put through hell. Because they mm-hmm. know they knew that Colomini could handle it. His acting chops were good enough. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Michael Hogan is that actor for this show that they were like, okay, yeah. who's the person that could be that has to like poison his own wife? Oh, it's let's give that to Michael Hogan. Because <laughs> he can handle <laughs> yeah, it. Michael Hogan is a, he's just phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And they say like he does like in these in these new cap I mean, he does it through the rest of the show, but like He's doing, um, he's selling emotions with like one eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't even so have his good. whole face to sort of like, to sort of like sell all these things. And, and again, I, and it's not to knock Jamie Bamber, but like I, you can see the level of like what Jamie brought to this, the, the visage or whatever of, of, uh, the fat Lee character, like the direction that was taken just, I just didn't like, it didn't work, you know? Again, he he was he was being someone else, and I did notice in this episode that there was a moment when he finally is Lee Adama again, and it's just the way that he talks and the way that he, um, the way that he acts. Um, the Lee Adama in the in the last few episodes when he was shooting down everything wasn't even like wasn't even like Lee. It was like he was like he was playing a different character, you know. So, I I don't even know what the original question was. It doesn't matter. But let's l- l- <laughs> now we can finally get back to that first scene, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's noteworthy because, like, I even I noticed that this was the first time. Kind of back to the the whole point about D, whatever. I noticed that this is the first time that he actually like appreciates her mm-hmm. for the first time. That at least I noticed it, you know, um, and. In my notes, I wrote only because she bucks his ego, but I don't even know what I was talking about. Um, so um, he says he's proud to call her his wife. Now you are, because um, we know we're going to find out some stuff a little bit later <laughs> um, about how that how those two came to get married. Um, but anyways, it's back to boring duties. Um, I thought this was like a kind of like a nice sell job to be a little bit of a surprise for what we see later um, in the episode. Where they are, um, like at least they're committing to finding Earth with this sort of like new fleet, uh, new colonial fleet. So back on New Caprica, Anders is confronting Ty and about Ellen's betrayal, 
So he, you know, he states that he's lost three men and the, the, not only that, um, but the entire mission, <laughs> everything that they've been working for, for the last like four months or whatever, could have all collapsed because of Ellen um, giving the map to the Cylons. Um, so uh, he, you know, says that, um, you know, share, like what if Sharon had been killed? You know, they wouldn't have been able to get the keys. Um, you know, the whole escape plan just would have been completely fracked. Um, so he's not having any of it. Um, and Ty is in a really tough spot, obviously. And um, Anders says, you know, you know what has to be done here. And if you don't do it, I understand. But believe me, Colonel, someone is going to do it. <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> and it would it would be better if it was you. Let's, and he kind of leaves yeah, it at that. Can we break that down a little bit? So I, yeah. I sort of... You know, the most interesting thing about the new Capricorn for me is that it really, for the time it was airing, I really felt, and a lot of this was because, you know, I just come back from Iraq, I really felt that it was probably the best metaphor for the American occupation of Iraq that I had seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was such a genius writing move that they flipped it to where, um, you know, the humans were the insurgents and the Cylons were sort of like the American, the military occupying force. Um, I talked I thought, about mm-hmm. that last week. Yeah. Well, see, you're such a you're such a you're such a smart person. That's why. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but th- let's talk about this. The Anders situation. I could understand Anders saying that line if they were if they had no word from Galactica that they were going to have to live under this new Caprica occupation. For years and years and years and years. That him being like, well, you got to kill her. That's the rule. Kill her. Anybody anybody betrays us, kill her. But at this point, they know Galactica is on the way. So they they know it's like a 50-50 shot they're getting off this planet. Why wouldn't they just tie her up and then worry about it on Galactica? Why does... I understand story reason. Again, like I again, it's this is the hardest thing about, you know, I understand dramatically that it needs to happen in this episode so we get this great moment with Ty and but in the world, why wouldn't you just tie her up? And then let's worry about it once we get on Galactica. What? Airlocker? Later? Yeah, or I mean, well, like just or figure it out, like because like does it need to be a death sentence? You know, like because once you talk to her and you find out the reason why she did it, you know, she did it for Ty. Like, and yes, it is a betrayal, but is it a betrayal that is worthy of the death sentence by her husband? <laughs> I will say, I will say this, like because they don't really get to this idea of, um. They don't get to this idea of like forgiveness until a whole other episode, the next episode. So mm-hmm. they the next episode, it's about the business of It's the aftermath, of, I would assume, right? The, yeah, the repercussions. And they are I mean, she like if maybe if she had made it through this through this episode, she might have ended up like some people do in the next episode. Yeah. So and it wasn't it was under the guise of sort of like like legal but not really it was basically like a vigilante it's style. eye for an eye yeah yeah and then but that's what the whole that's what the whole next episode is about so i don't so in this case i think they still had that mindset okay. of yeah. uh yeah like killer um i and, but you're right like it, it is harsh but you know from a from a writing perspective it's like to 
kind of make you, you know. I also just see that. I also just the think tragedy. with Galactica in this time frame, I'm like, you guys got lots of other stuff you could be doing. Why, like, let's worry about Poison and Ellen later, okay? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, and like again, like I think Anders is like he's just he's really pissed because like he almost got shot. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like personally, he almost got shot, and he's like, dude, like you know, I'd be, I'd be. I'd be ticked off too, but I—I I mean, it's a—it is a good point. Um, and it—it—it it, it always seems a little like I—it always did seem a little, yeah, off to me. Um, especially the scene when you know, like she's you know being ushered away. Um, but I don't know. I'm just here to hurt. I guess that's a, you know, that is the thing. Um, I did have a friend try to rewatch the show, uh, during 2020, um, because he had, Ah. you know, he was like, he was like, Oh, I'm at home and I've always wanted to rewatch the show. So I'm going to do it. And I remember talking to him about a month later and asking him, I was like, Oh, how's it? How's the show? Like 20 years later. And his immediate thought was, it's so mean. I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny because that's I like that myself. Oh, I do like too. Everybody, I do like, too. Yeah, everybody yeah. was watching Ted Lasso, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to watch like dystopian, post-apocalyptic shows. I understand whatever. not necessarily wanting to watch this during like the height of the pandemic. I definitely like spent my time watching Parks and Recreation and Schitt's Creek. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wasn't watching <laughs> things that were going to depress me because I was at the like depths of the you know, the biggest depression I've probably ever lived through. Um, so I get that. I don't find this show mean. I find it painful sometimes, a little, very sad. Uh, but I don't, I think there's probably a reason that I didn't rewatch it during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. And I and I say this, like, to, to all your listeners, I say this from a place of love. I do, I actually do love this show. I actually do love the finale. Um, you and, know, you know, I, I have a lot of love for this show. It's just like, I, I, I like to, I like to poke holes at stuff that I also love. And, uh, you know, because there's a the entirety of Battlestar Galactica to me, and I don't remember where this happens. Um, so, like, please, my Battlestar experts, please. Uh, there, The entirety of Battlestar to me can be summed up in one scene. And there is a scene at some point where Admiral Adama takes the filter off his cigarette and then smokes it like a badass. And, and, I, yeah. and I'm like, that There's is a couple episodes before. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a couple and, episodes ago. Yeah. And so to me, yeah. I'm like, that is the most Battlestar episode that explains and tells you everything <laughs> that is Battlestar. <laughs> I wish they would explain where the tobacco comes from. Right. <laughs> there, must be a, there must be a tobacco ship in the fleet. That's my guess. <laughs> Perhaps it's long bottom leaf. Yeah. Who knows? So can we talk about this scene with Ty and Ellen? Yes, we can. We uh, There are two very ominous blue cups on the table before them. And Ellen is just saying how she, you know, I did it all for you, Saul. Um, she tells them she, you know, and then she's kind of like, you know, you don't get it. <laughs> like, you, I'm telling you this, but you don't get it. And she, like, kind of goes into detail. Like, she got him out of detention. If she hadn't have done what she did, he would still be there. She went to them. She slept with Cavill. Um, she says she faked it and smiled, but and also wanted to puke while doing it, but she did it all to get him out because she loves him. And they have a crazy kind of love, I guess. Um, and she says she'd do it again. Yeah, this is where I believe how much Ellen actually loves him. Like, being yeah. on New Caprica, 
from from the first episode of season three, I finally believed that she does actually love him. Mm-hmm. It's she's a twisted person, and I don't know why she was being the way that she was before. Like you know, the stories we hear about Ellen before how she's like fooled around on him and stuff. Maybe it's because she just desperately needs attention all the time, and he, if if Adama is around, Ty is paying attention to Adama. <laughs> Like, let's just <laughs> let's just be real. He, lo- I think he loves Adama more than he loves Ellen, but I think he loves Ellen a lot. And I didn't believe the depths of her love for him until until now. And I'm... she's so great in this scene. Yeah, like... she is. She is. And I also think. L- let me ask you too. With this, I think she knows. Based on oh, the actresses, actually, I think she knows. Yeah, Kate Vernon actually said in an interview that she, in in her mind, yes, Ellen knew that she was going to have to pay for what she did, and well, that's that there was poison in the cup. She really brought it in her performance, and I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So we we talked um, when her first episode, when Ellen first shows up. I had read that, um, or actually, I listened to Trisha Helfer's podcast, and Edward James almost was on that episode, and he di- had directed the episode where Ellen makes her debut, and he mm. cast her, and he fought for her because oh. he'd seen her in something, and just had her in his mind to play this role, and he fought to get her on the show, and it definitely was the right casting because Ellen is frustrating and infuriating, but also like Kate Vernon is just such a great performer. Absolutely. Like, I think she was in, I think, I think you, when you brought her up before she was in Malcolm X, I think, I think that's the movie that uh, he was watching that. um, I don't remember, but that might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes. So, she yeah in the commentary back and like way in the back in the day when I watched it I remember in the podcast slash commentary he does he does kind of bring up this idea that she knows but he he's a little coy about it um he's like I like to think that she knows and over the years as I watch it especially this this rewatch it like the way she approaches the scene she definitely like she definitely knows that she has to kind of do this and i also noticed that it kind of takes the the extra amount of guilt away from ty by her taking the cup mm-hmm. like you know kind of she's like oh i'm gonna take this drink now so he is like all of the weight of that isn't on him so i definitely think that she like steps into this and and it again proves just how much she loves him I don't know that he would agree with you that the it takes some guilt away. <laughs> I think I think this breaks Ty. Oh no, it I mean it breaks him but it might have broken him even more is I guess mm. what I'm saying. Like the degree instead of and like he's at a 10 but it would have yeah. been an I mean 11. he didn't have to hold yeah. her down and force her to drink it but yeah. He, he prepared it. Yeah. Beautiful performance from him though. Yeah, but from both of them, like he, yeah, he basically doesn't say anything <laughs> that yeah. whole scene, and it's a close up of his it's, eye. It's... it's an extreme close up of just his eye for a for a good yeah. chunk of it, and he's just t- he's like taking it in, and um, but again, it's like like you when you're when you're a competent actor, like you don't have to 
speak to convey what it is that you're necessarily thinking and he does it in spades yeah um and so she anyway she's like uh she she uh takes the cup and she drinks it and then you know she's like you've always been there for me when i needed you um and then she's like i'm getting sleepy and laser head on uh on his uh laser head on his chest and she kind of brings this up you know the uh the tragedy of it all like she says um back in the uh occupation episode they talked about how you know wanting she wanted to stay on galactica or she wanted to come down to new caprica and uh kind of convinced him to come down and she's like yeah should have stayed on galactica <laughs> none of this would happen yeah. and ty's like that's all right um, and then she drops the cup and she dies and he loves her and he lays her down and he cries and it breaks my heart yeah it's heartbreaking yeah acting tour de force yeah yeah. That reminds me, I should really check and see how he's doing. Yeah, because he had an yeah. accident a couple years ago, right? He had a stroke. Okay, he has a stroke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, his wife did a GoFundMe because it was during the pandemic, and um, it his care just was really, really high, and so she had a her friend actually started a GoFundMe, and I gave to it. So I would periodically get these updates on him. And the last I had heard, he was doing a lot better. He was like able to start using his right arm again, and he was able to feed himself and eat solid food. So that was really positive, but it's really, I mean, ultimately just really bad. Like he's, we're never going to see him act again. No, but I, I just, I think about him a lot and I want to make sure he's okay. I just have so much affection for Michael Hogan. The best I could find um, was an update from three months ago that said, yeah, from his wife, Susan Hogan, who said that he's been, he's making steady progress. He can stand on his right leg for six minutes. Uh, and he is now wearing leg braces on both legs and can sort of stand. Oh, well, that's it. good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, uh, a few years ago, the cast of Battlestar was at um, Dragon Con and I mm -hmm. went and he, he was one of the people there. And I, I mean, I like lined up. I, I was the only person lined up for quite a while. I just, it was very important to me <laughs> to get into this panel. And so I was right in the front row and he led a, a So Say We All for the crowd at the end. And I just burst into tears. It was like the, one of the greatest moments of my life to just have a So Say We All call and response with Michael Hogan. Nice. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, he was so great, and everything I everything I've heard about him, like in real life, uh, like he was just so kind and nice, and yeah, you know, not like Colonel Ty, and um, really about the art of mm -hmm. the acting, and not so much about the fame of it. So he just kind of would shy away from, uh, you know, being seen, and it was just like he wanted to be a part of, he wanted to be in the role, and kind of give everything that he could to that. So. And you see it when he cries, man. Ugh. Like. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. It's, it doesn't feel like acting. Yeah. It, yeah. You're right. Like. It, it, like. Because we don't. We've never seen Ty like that before. Yeah. And it feels genuine. And like every. Every man. No matter how tough they. You know. Claim they um, are. Like. 
they I think they have that in them. Well, not me, of course. No, not you, because you're dead inside. I'm dead inside. <laughs> but, but everybody else. Um, on Colonial One, Balt, <laughs> Baltar's monologuing <laughs> that mm-hmm. the, basically the Cylons are cooked, right? And so everything's falling apart. Um, and Deanna asks, basically, uh, like, what would you have us do? Um, and he says, leave, very dramatically. Um, but then she like makes a really good point, and I actually think that this is um, this is sort of this is an issue that I think gets resolved through from this moment to the end of the show, um, where she basically says the scenario would be if we left, you would tell your children, and your children would tell their children about these you know, these enemy Cylons and they're always coming from you. They'd be the boogeyman. And eventually your children would head to the stars and hunt us down. Um, And so, you know, this cycle would continue. So if we just left, um, that's not going to end it. And Baltar is like, and he makes a really, a really great point. And I believe this looks forward to the last episode. um, But he says, you know, blood for blood has to stop someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now that's not on the table. And kind of like knowing where the show ends up going, I can kind of see how this is like the central, it to me seems like the central concept. Um, because I've always thought about that. Like it, they were always like, we got to find Earth. But I'm always like, yeah, well, the Cylons aren't just going to go away. Like just because you find Earth, there's something that there's nothing magical about that. And they never really talked about that in the the original show either. And actually, in the original show, when they do get to Earth, the Cylons still are there and attacking Earth. So it's like, you know, they still have, there's still this Cylon issue that they have to deal with. Yellow, can so I ask you I a follow up on that? The show kind of goes along that. Yeah, go ahead. What is the ending of the original show? I honestly don't know. Yeah, so it got canceled after the first season. Uh-huh. And like when I say the original show, really what happened is. It's 1980, like the they're motorcycles, they had, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they had Galactica 1980. Yeah, and that's that's so, so you know. Just but learned about the motorcycles like... a couple episodes ago. <laughs> oh, the flying yeah. motorcycles are. I, I've I they're like a legendary like just. I've seen that trailer so many times, or the ad for it. Dude, I Woo! when I was a kid, I loved it. I love when I was a kid. I like I hated the show. Like I hated the show, but those motorcycles were just like the coolest things to me. Like, uh, but anyway. Yeah, so it's like they they had like some TV movie where it's like the attack of the Cylons. I can't remember what it was called, and uh, but like the Cylons are attacking you know 1980s Los Angeles. So um, the show's terrible, but it still it brings up that point where they're still being hunted by the Cylons, and so just finding Earth isn't enough. So there has to be something higher or greater, and I think this starts to kind of touch on that stuff because we really start to see from here on out we really start to see the Cylon culture and we see the Cylons grow and then we have you know we have what we have yeah so they're discussing um you know Baltar is basically like uh you know blood for blood has to stop someday the conversation kind of like trails because it trails because all of a sudden, we start hearing explosions 
And then Gaeta, who is in the room, um, he looks out the window and it's begun. And the music, you know, I talk about the music a lot because I love it so Same. much. And this is the start of this. And it goes throughout the episode. This was in my in my workout playlist, my running playlist. I would listen to it on repeat. <laughs> the Storming of New Caprica music is absolutely stellar. And I will, especially in one particular part, I'll drop that in a little bit later. But that starts to play. Um and uh, so we start, we see explosions everywhere, and then we cut outside, and we see Tori. I love Tori so much. I am so in love with Tori. Uh, she she gets. If we ever make those, merch, uh, that's gonna have to be one of them because every time Tori you so see much. her, you <laughs> every time he sees her, he says, "I love Tori so much." I love her. I'm I so just, in love with her every single time. I'm so in love with her. It's uh. <laughs> Well, she's a very beautiful obsessed. woman and a very talented actress. So, Diallo, we just need to put you both in the same room. <laughs> yeah. She was on a... She's in Star Trek, I believe. She's in Yellow Jackets. Yeah, she's in Yellow Jackets. Oh, right. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, here she goes. She's so great. Anyways, um, she uh, she's leading the like the, the section captains. I forget what they, exactly the name of them were. They all have, like, white um, armbands, and she's kind of sending them off. You know what you you know what you got to do. Um, so they're basically the ones that are going to lead the people to their mm -hmm. ships. Um, and then Maya comes up, and she says thanks. Uh, she tells uh, Tori, "Thank Laura for me." And Tori is like, "No, thank her for yourself." And uh, Maya was onto something. <laughs> so we'll just leave it at that. Um, so uh, back then, Anders and his crew start running towards the pyramid courts. I did notice one thing about this scene. Anders is the only one that's showing his biceps. Mm -hmm. Yes. Also tactically unsound. <laughs> but it looks great. I was, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a good looking like, man. Like, of course is, he is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you have those arms, why yeah. are you going to wear long sleeves? Yeah. He was probably doing a lot of push-ups. I get it. <laughs> As like yeah, he's they they were uh, he was showing his guns while they were getting the guns but, and apparently that scene was shot um, earlier way earlier for the the parts when like in the I think it's like occupation when Laura is talking about the resistance and I guess they just didn't use that that particular scene for that and they used it here and it I, mean, I don't know makes much more sense to me I thought it was like I thought it was all planned and brilliant because I was like oh yeah the weapons are underneath the pyramid thing that we've been seeing for the last few episodes and it was right under our noses you know literally but anyways jamie you're gonna say something no oh you're just I, like you're just like still like anders <laughs> anders arms no i just i think it was really smart to show that they have weapons like hidden around in places like that the silence weren't gonna look especially after we you know, saw in those resistance webisodes that they were searching tents and the you know the temple tent and all that stuff but where mm -hmm. they actually were hiding things were just under the ground yeah, where yeah. also was also under the it's is it called i'm sorry is it called pyramid is that the game that's yeah. in place yeah, yeah uh, under yeah. the pyramid hoop yeah that was one of those things where i was like everybody would see that the ground was stuck up dude right i there. everybody yeah, would see I, it <laughs> Like I, the the one yeah. inside the tent, yes, I understand. Like that one at least was, yeah. I I thought I was like, that's where all your weapons are out in the open for everybody. Yeah, to I take. wondered how they would. <laughs> yeah, I wondered how they got got it there. Actually, right? Like it was 
it was the cool Cylons could definitely see like, in the dark. They didn't. Yeah. Know, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Bob, um, what are those humans doing over there digging for six hours? Ah, don't worry about them. <laughs> they didn't dig <laughs> they very deep. They, <laughs> they did have all those. They did have an extensive network of tunnels. So, you oh, know, that's who fair. knows? That's who fair. knows what they get? Yeah. I, I mean, I wondered how they were able to dig all those tunnels that deep also. But, you know, whatever. It's space stuff. I have the, the, the um, scene in my head from Naked Gun 33 and a third where it's just like all these scenes of the humans like going to the lunch tent and like dropping dirt out their pants, you know, <laughs> all these tunnels. Oh, geez. <laughs> you actually remember Naked Gun 33 and a third. That is impressive. I do. Isn't I love that what? <laughs> isn't that what Andy Dufresne does from yes, digging it, his tunnel, though? Ex- well, yes. It's it, That's what it's like making fun of. And the gag oh. in Na- Naked Gun 33 and a third is that it's a he's constantly playing baseball because that's what Andy Dufresne and Shawshank Redemption did. But the gag in Naked Gun is that Frank keeps dropping it on the pitcher's mound. So the pitcher's yeah. mound gets taller over like six months. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've never seen that particular Naked Gun. So <laughs> um, it's uh, it's it's not as good as the first two, but it's still a pleasant journey if you're looking for it. It's Enrico Palazzo. Yeah, it's Enrico Palazzo. Yeah. Like, all the old people are laughing right now. <laughs> uh, so the Anders, Biceps Anders, that's the action figure, like Biceps Anders and his crew, their job is to target the detention center. And I actually, uh, especially Jamie, but I want to ask both of you. Um, so last, like Jamie, I think last week you were kind of asking about um, because he heads pretty, he pretty much heads to Starbuck right away. It seems like, um, what, like, what is your take on, like, the tactics of that situation? Like, they, they sort of like he because they nobody knows that Starbucks is even alive still, um. But it seems like he heads directly there. And I was wondering, do you think that there was any kind of intel or anything? Or if it was just sort of coincidence? I think Sharon got him an answer. I think Sharon found out where he where Starbuck was being held. Jamie fixed Uh, it. Yeah, that's what that's what she did. That's right. I think she did. I think that's right. That's good. Good call. I had the same thought, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. because he asked her if she could find out and she said she would try. Yeah, she'd see that, what she yeah, could do. Try. And I think when she stuck yeah. her hands in that goo, she got the number box where the launch keys were, but she also searched to find where Starbuck was being held. And mm-hmm. the fact that Starbuck was being held in the detention center, they needed to break those people out anyway. But now he knew where to look for Starbuck as well. See, that's why I asked the question. Because <laughs> I didn't know, but I knew you would. <laughs> Um, was Anders involved? Was I paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I just I was really laughing that he was the only one showing his biceps. Um, but anyway, in uh, in orbit the Galactica slowly. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this like it's like a like a romance novel. <laughs> this whole sequence, but it's slowly going through like the ne- the, the nebula glass uh, gases and. And you start to hear some of this um, storming of New Caprica music as it's um, starting. The decoy 
squadron, they call it. They execute the maneuver that we saw them trying to do and that kept failing at in the premiere. Mm-hmm. So basically, the uh, it's like the raptors are shooting out a bunch of drones in two separate groups. And then Captain Kelly on the bridge basically tells us why they're doing that. And basically, it will make it so that the Cylons read that those group of drones at, on the Dreadus as two battle stars. Um, there's also, um, in the deleted scenes, it's really kind of cool, um, there's a whole moment before the mission where Kat and Adama are talking. Yeah. And Kat's really, really nervous about this mission. And um, Adama reiterates to her... <laughs> That if you fail, you like you mess up like the timing of everything and whatever. But then he does a lot to reassure her that she can do it. Um, and he talks a little bit about like you know, kind of like he he does this thing, and I had seen him do it before. Where like you see, you could tell that he used to be a pilot, so he grabs her helmet, and um, she doesn't think that he knows. <laughs> she says something like, "I didn't even know you knew my name." <laughs> Which is kind of weird to me if she was the CAG, but first whatever. name, uh, yeah. Oh, first name, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just, but it's kind of like I. Yeah, but he's like, I know more about you than anything, and he says a couple other things that makes me think, oh, they were already starting to plant seeds for uh, some episodes down the road. Yeah, for her. I thought that this, like most of the deleted scenes, I feel had a a reason to be deleted, and this mm-hmm. one, I felt really. It helps with the cat storyline. Mm-hmm. Did she come back? I did not remember. Through. I don't remember her at all. Is she pretty important later on? Yeah, there's a whole, she, yeah. there's a whole okay. cat episode um, that is pretty instrumental. Um, it's important for Starbuck, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because their relationship being what it is. So I just feel like this this deleted scene really adds to what Kat's going through later. Got it. Yeah. Sort of yeah, her, like, kinda... imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I, I can kind of, I can see why they cut it just in terms of time. Um, the uh, pacing of it is a lot slower than the rest of the episode, but like you said, I actually think it's really, really important, actually, from a from a cat's character perspective. Um, like, in a perfect world, if you're not having to show things on, like, network TV with the time limits, they could have added. And I mean, this and a bunch of other scenes. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty unfortunate because it does give a lot of perspective about her um, that I actually, when I was watching it, I felt a little shortchanged from my first viewings because I was like, Oh, this would have been nice to know this when we get to her episode, because um, I liked, I liked that episode enough as it is, but it it gives a lot more context to like kind of stuff she's going through. Yeah. And I don't know what they could have taken out to keep it in because it is a really long scene. Like it's a good, Mm -hmm. like three or four minute scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's a chunk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so back down in New Caprica, the uh, Cylons in the in um, Colonia One, they're like scrambling and they're kind of making plans. There's a bunch of chaos. Baltar is off to the side, thinking about Baltar, I guess. But he's like, uh, he's kind of fretting, saying like, "Oh, this was all for nothing." 
Um, six kind of tells them, oh, well, yeah, we can all start over. Um, like the phoenix from the ashes, I think she says. And then Boomer um, confirms that, uh, falsely, that two battle stars have jumped into the atmosphere. Um, she correctly, though, confirms that Adama's back. Um, then we... The base stars start launching a little bit after that. The base stars start launching raiders um, and the colonials um, and the vipers. They were kind of waiting for the they were waiting for the uh, raiders to launch. And then they immediately bug out. Um, then we have a scene down at the detention center. Leobin is uh, kind of heading out to see what the, all the commotion is. Starbuck is like, hey, what's going on? He's like, uh, insurrectionists, whatever. Starbuck runs after him, jumps on his back, and he knocks her out and leaves. So she's going to have a concussion. Yeah, he sucks. We, we kind of pa- passed it over it, but I want to talk about, um, I kind of think, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Diallo, that Galactica zapping into the atmosphere of New Caprica, to me, might mm-hmm. be the sort of greatest holy shit moment. Almost. There's another one coming later, which I will not say, but... For me, I when I think about Battlestar Galactica, I never don't think about this moment of mm-hmm. Galactica like dropping through the atmosphere because I remember that just knocking my socks off the first time I saw it because I never thought that that would be like the solution or the distraction. Listen, I took a video when I was watching oh, it yeah? this week. <laughs> took a video, sent it to all my friends that like we were all watching Battlestar like when it was on and I just wrote never forget (laughs) (laughs) all right all right (laughs) um yeah yeah it that maneuver it's completely unexpected like we all are you know post Apollo 13 you know what I mean like we understand that when ships come into our atmosphere that they are on fire and that you don't want to like stay in that position for very long it's very unsafe and it seems crazy like the ship almost it almost kills the galactica to do it you know when they get back up and everything's not working and things are you know sparking and whatever it's it's not a it's not a smart plan for the ship but it's a really smart plan for a distraction and it looked incredible and they won an emmy for it oh did they win the vfx emmy for this or yeah they won um let me look at my notes real quick but it's they won they were nominated they were nominated for outstanding visual effects for a series which they won they lost in the directing and sound editing categories nice ron moore did say on that particular scene he did say because he was he was talking about like the you know the the effects side of it and he he did say he's like damn if we don't win the emmy for this one (laughs) yeah what are we doing and (laughs) yeah is it it's true like yeah like i said like i like i I like I like the Pegasus episodes more mm-hmm. overall, but I think like this is probably the greatest scene in all of Battlestar Galactica, and so like I will 
I, uh, over the years, I watched it over and over again. That coupled with the music, I love like, um, you know, the uh, the bagpipes and the Dama mm-hmm. theme playing right when it jumps in. Um, the scene um, where uh, I just I, like I love the I love the little like kind of quiet moment where Hot Dog is kind of like you know this is. I forget what exactly what he says. Like this has never happened before, or something. Like, this is happening, or something to that effect. Um, and then just watching all of the uh, fighters like launch through the fire, mm-hmm. it just it's just epic. And you know they talk a little bit about you know like the the physics or whatever of it. And, you know, like they, he's kind of like, well, you know, like it, there is an element. Like they talked about it, and there was a lot of discussion. Um, but you know they established that the Galactica could take a nuke, a hit from a nuke in the miniseries, so it's not beyond you know the bounds of imagining that it could you know it de- it definitely wasn't made for what it did, but it could take the beating mm-hmm. from the from reentry. Um, but you know again, and Jason, you could talk a little bit about this, like the tactical side of it. Actually, to me, is actually pretty interesting because you know I thought about like. If the you know if the Galactica had a like kind of traditionally sent a bunch of ships from space, the Viper's squadron down there, the element of surprise wouldn't be there. Um, yeah, it's it's no, it's so, a smart idea to get them under the base stars to allow them to launch all their ships. Um, because you're right, because if the ships had been launched from orbit, there's a really strong shot that the base stars would have shot them all down before they even got mm-hmm. into the atmosphere. Um, yeah. Or they would have had to confront too many raiders. So this was like a perfect solution for getting around that. There is, and again, like because the moment is so cool, I'm willing to let this go past. But there is part of it because you know we don't, and the show rightly doesn't go with too much into like how does this FTL technology really work? You know, it kind of seems mm-hmm. like it's wormholing everywhere, and you know it's just jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is part of it where um, you kind of think, well. Would you be able to open a sort of FDL wormhole in an atmosphere? I I don't I don't know, but I'm willing to let it go because the moment is just so cool, um, and also for the fact that like I don't think beyond this moment they ever do it again. Oh no, they don't. yeah no uh, yeah this is like kind of one of the last battles <laughs> of the show I think uh, until like we get to the very yeah very the finale end, yeah. I think yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it it was in uh, there was a the episode uh, some episodes previous when the Raptors were going back to Caprica to rescue um, Anders and his biceps <laughs> when um, <laughs> the Raptors actually jumped into atmosphere and actually I think we talked a little Jamie and I uh, we talked a little bit about that because it's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, my my, because like one of them jumped inside a mountain, and it was, and we were just kind of trying to figure out the like the, the physics or the dynamic of that. Like, did it phase into the mountain, or I kind of came up with this idea that like, like sort of like a bubble, um, around it happened so that the raptor in this case would have like jumped in and like everything around it would have like evacuated so that it was whole and intact. So it's a kind of, instead of phasing into the mountain so that every, like the whole ship and the people are phased with the rock. It's more like the ship is inside, like embedded inside the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes sense, like kind of what you're saying, because it makes sense that if they were just jumping into vacuums, 
that would be perfect. If you're doing it into an atmosphere, there's like oxygen and gases and stuff. Yeah, there's all kinds of like um, atmospheric or just, just, yeah, atomic elements that I don't think you'd be able to predict. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, definitely it's uh, like, I, you know, they, they, I think that's one of the, the smart things about this show. They do this often where they they kind of they they know you've watched for the most part even if you're not a sci-fi person you have been exposed to so much um science fiction stuff that you don't necessarily need the description of how exactly it works it's just like you kind of in a way it sells it more because it makes it more of like well they know how it works Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, doesn't feel like a doesn't necessarily feel like a cheat to me. If they tried to explain to us how it works, we'd be like, "Oh, that doesn't make sense." Like sometimes the explanation yeah. is is worse than whatever we can come up with in our heads, or just being like, "Well, I mean, it's the this is just the world yeah, that they live in." Like, because this is exactly the same as like Star Trek, right? Like, it's the only reason why warp engines can break you know, faster than the speed of light is because of this element that we no, don't know anything about called dilithium. So Battlestar would have to do the same thing. They'd have to say that the FTL has like blah, 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 you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's funny that in the, in the, uh, in the miniseries, like it's kind of established that they don't, like they don't even really jump very often. Like, this Oh, really? Is- yeah, like it was like it's a big deal. Like they had, they hadn't really like used their FTLs in forever, so it just it becomes a you know a necessity because of the situation they're in, where they're jumping with the frequency that they're they're jumping. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's something that's like happens all the time. So it, like the I guess the idea would be like you know in star trek like they have transport if they had transporters but they rarely used them mm-hmm. you know and then all of a sudden something happens and then they were using them every day as opposed to every once in a while so um can we yeah can we talk we, about because before any of that happens we have this scene with Rosalind and Zarek mm-hmm. and fucking jammer <laughs> yeah i mean i yeah, absolutely want to get to that. So, uh, yeah, Roslyn and Zarek are kind of like they're making their way through the shipyards. And then um, Z- and, you know, she she directs Zarek uh, towards the shipyards. And he's like, hey, uh, where are you going? Um, and she's like, my ship's over there. <laughs> and, you know, looking towards uh, Colonial One. And Tom's like, all right, bet. Uh, you have a sense for the dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jamie's I was thinking about I was thinking about you Jamie in this part um, how this yeah, slimy little even, fuck managed his way onto <laughs> onto colonial one <laughs> yeah he stops like guilt, a very guilty jammers he stops jammer he's like hey you were on Galactic and he's like what I didn't do anything <laughs> oh man like like uh, if guilty, if I'm guilty was a person, yeah, that's that's uh, that would be Jammer. Um, it gives Jammer a gun, which is kind of you know kind of funny. Tells you know don't basically protect Rosalind, and you know it's kind of funny because like you, I actually do assume that he he will protect her. I don't really get to ever get this sense of like you know there's any treachery involved in that moment. Um, not like you know in Air Force One that was a whole thing where there's like a a guard like a 
the uh, Secret Service guy in charge of the president, you know he's like one of the bad guys, but he's like has a gun and he's like with the president the entire movie, basically. Um, it's not that that situation, but there's just like that, you know, that funny kind of setup be, uh, with the one guy that you think should die the most actually ends up making it off the planet. Mm-hmm. But doesn't he get uh, and I, this might be spoilers, but uh, like. Doesn't he get his comeuppance very soon? He does. I was going to say, yes. like, I, isn't he like one of the people they throw out an airlock very, very soon? <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. I'm very gl- I'm glad he makes it off because we get to really get to see him get what's coming to him mm. Well, if, later. If he had just been in one scene with Colonel Ty, he might have drank some poison. But, you know, uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll, I'll, yeah. take, I'll take the airlock. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So then right after that, they have the scene where they, they jump um, in. And they, in the moment, it's actually really cool because, like, kind of, I was kind of taking myself back to the goal of me watching this show, the way that I'm watching it um, week by week. And so, like, is to kind of try to recreate how it was when I originally watched it and kind of thinking back to my thoughts back then. And, like the makeup of the scene is actually really cool because uh, Captain Kelly is like, you know, ready to jump. <laughs> and I'd be like, my head, even though I know what's about to happen, I'm like, wait, jump where? <laughs> and then uh, Hilo says, ready to launch Blue Squadron, which old OG Battlestar guy, that Blue, Squ- Blue Squadron was like the one with Apollo and, and uh, Starbuck, but mm. n- nothing about nothing. Um, but then. Um, you know, Adama's like brace for turbulence, and I'm just like, oh my god, what are they planning? Even though I know what they're <laughs> planning, and I never really saw like, like the makeup of that scene, you know, because everything's kind of like everything's kind of happening so fast. But really, it's just like, oh yeah. So when, and then so we have we have uh, they figure the Cylons figure out that they're decoys. There's no Galacticus or Pegasus. Um, and then down on Cabrica, you have a uh, chief and Ty, and they're running um, through. There's a guard. There's like a guard tower above where a Cylon is. Ma- a Centurion's up there shooting people, and people getting mowed down all over. There's one on the ground as well. And then they look up, and then you see the Galactica jump in on fire. Uh, the Adama maneuver, I think it's called uh, unofficially. <laughs> I'm down with that. I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, into Atmo on fire. The whole um, the Adama bagpipes uh, inside the Galactica. They're just holding on for dear life. I had a thought, like you know, Star Trek brain. I was like, do they have inertial dampeners or anything? Um, there's a Captain Kelly says something in this moment. He says altitude ninety nine thousand. Uh, I don't know exactly what like miles kilometers. What that means? How you know? But it gives you a sense of like where they well, isn't were. Wasn't their scale like carobs or something like that? They're like fifty-five carobs, <laughs> like it's, it's in, made up like word. in this show. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember because I like, get my brain sometimes goes back to like old OG Battlestar when I get fuzzy, and so like they had like yarns and and all these other terms that they use. Frack's the only thing that I think that really made it past um, the old version, but they had like all kinds of sectons. <laughs> It was very 70s sci-fi, um, but it just gives you an idea of how far, how high they were. And, um... Well, the interesting thing about that, too, is that unlike Star Trek, you can tell that Galactica is a ship that was never designed to go into atmosphere. 
because At all. its cargo bays are just wide open to vacuum. And mm-hmm. also, they have no thrusters. So they're not mm-hmm. landing. They are just falling. And, if, and yeah. it's the idea of, like, yeah. we need to launch all these raptors uh, or these vipers before we crash into the ground, which they almost do. They get pretty close. Yeah. They get really close. <laughs> like, I, I actually kind of wondered, like, what if it did? Like, what if the FTLs didn't work? That would have been. I a... think they deliberately planned their jump right over the the side. Because if you notice, they were, like, almost over the Cylon encampment. Yeah. So I think that was the plan where it's like, uh-huh. well, if we don't launch them all, we crash into the Cylon headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> um. And like strategy wise too, I started thinking about this because you know, like I I was always thinking, I always kind of think in terms of like a battle, but like this actually, the Galactica's goal was just to, because it jumps in and then it jumps out and then basically its goal from there is just to take a pounding to give the ships time yeah, that's to all it is. take yeah, off yeah, and yeah. jump. That's all. It's, like so, so they're not Yeah, the Vipers are launched, I think, basically to give ground support and to allow the ships to take off. And then I think the plan from there is the Battlestar is to keep the two base stars away. It's uh, it's very Empire Strikes Back. It's and so the Vipers can escort the civilian ships off the the off yeah, until they can jump and then the Vipers come back to Galactica. Because mm-hmm. it would be very yeah. easy for any of the base stars to fire down and and just tear apart all the civilian ships that are taking off. Yeah, and so they initially think that there are two base stars. As it turns out, and we'll find out a little bit later, two more jump in, so there's four. So that's what fracks up their plan. Can I ask a Galactica? Can um, I ask our Galactica, my Galactica experts that I'm on the podcast with here? Um, have you something if you haven't considered so far? would be to keep a running tally of how many Cylon base stars exist in this show. Because <laughs> that's the thought that I had. Well, look, look, I know the Cylons can like just build, 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 right? And they, I, the idea is that they have unlimited resources because they're robots. But sometimes I think they're like, how like I would be so curious at this point in the series and also towards the end of the series, how many Cylon base stars exist in the show and how many blow up? Because it, I, it feels like, from my perspective... That Galactica tortures like a hundred of these, and, you know. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah, I don't know if we ever get a real idea of how many there are, but at this point, I think they've only they destroyed a resurrection ship, and I think a base star at the same time as that. But it was just the one. Um. And then that's not the only resurrection ship. So it's really hard to say, like, how many. Like, how, how big their fleet is, yeah. Yeah, like, how how many there are, how often they're together, how often they allow themselves to be close together. And then later in the series, when there's this sort of split, like, the Cylon Civil War thing, they escape with one base star. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. There is a Cylon ship that joins the fleet. Mm, that's yeah. Right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, they had, I mean, they had, like, a good 40-something years of being off yeah. that's, on Okay, that's own. true. All right, all right, all right. You know what, DLO, you fixed it now. All right, thank you. <laughs> but no, it's actually funny because, I like, I fixed it, but you brought up, like, a question I actually had oh, sure. about, like, again, like, the tactics of this. 
from the Cylon side, which was, um, I just, I, I actually did wonder, like, where, like, why just two base stars? Like, why, like, who who made the call to send, like, why not send more? Like, you know, I had all those, I so did have I can, all those questions. I can fix this. Ready? Uh-huh. When you are fighting a force that you're not 100% certain, so they know it's Galactica, right? But you have to assume that Adama would only show up if he had some sort of advantage. So mm. you only send in two more because you don't know, like, because you know the humans, to the Cylons' perspective, they're they're a little they're a little bonkers. They're 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 mm-hmm. they're very unpredictable. Maybe Adama's whole plan is to just bring in as many base stars as he can and then light off a nuke and take them all out. So yeah. we'll send two in there because four against one, pff, we got him easy. No problem. But we're not going to risk the whole fleet because we don't know if he doesn't have a doomsday weapon of some type. They also need to keep base stars protecting their resurrection ships, mm-hmm. however many of those there may be. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and up to, like, again, up to this point, the, the Cylons have been very mysterious, right? They've been like an existential threat more so than a um in your face up front one and like from here on out we actually get to see a lot more of them and yeah and they're they're um, also very more protective of all the resources like they're less willing to take shots like this exodus part two really reminded me of like oh okay you can see what ron moore is doing with this series that he is really saying that you the human element of it is all is that you're unpredictable because no Cylon would have ever done Adama's plan ever. And no Mm -hmm. Cylon would have ever done Lee's plan. Like a Cylon would have just stayed with the fleet um, and been very protective. Um, And so like, I think that's another kind of what you said earlier Diallo about this, where the series eventually goes. It's like that you need a little bit of both, right? You need some of the passion and the unpredictableness, but you also need logic. Kind of reminds me of that meme that was going around a little bit ago, like a few years ago, about the Federation and like, <laughs> like how like what, humans they, and Vulcans. Federation, yeah, like the like the Vulcans are always like the human. I forget what the term was, but like they, it was just like the humans were just like, oh, we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna go warp ten and we're just gonna yeah. do this and do that, and like the Vulcans are like, uh, well, it's, what are you doing? It's very similar to like um, the theory of that um, Spock, Doctor McCoy, and Captain Kirk all put together are one perfect person but separate they're mm-hmm. they're they're faulty right you know because mm-hmm. you have kirk the risk taker you have bones the passionate one and then you have spock all pure logic mm-hmm. but together they're like the perfect starfleet officer but separate they're weaker they're, they're like captain planet mm-hmm. yeah exactly or voltron voltron yeah <laughs> uh jamie you were gonna say something uh i was just gonna say that Leobin like an episode or two ago said that Cylons value life unlike mm. the humans mm. that mm-hmm. you know if we're talking about like the Cylons wouldn't do something like this because they're logical or whatever but according to Leobin they value life as they're you know lining people up in trucks to kill them right like uh, we're like we're being liberators, and they bring you democracy and freedom, kind of like that, right? Mm, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like Thanos, so how he's you know saving the universe by killing half of it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's not wrong, dude, uh, but he's also not right. <laughs> my my whole thing about Thanos is like he didn't put himself in that bucket. That's my oh, like, true, like, you, true. <laughs> yeah, that that's my only thing. He, everyone's like, oh no, he had a point. I'm like, yeah, well, he kind of does, but like he it, the point would be stronger if. He had been like, well, I actually could be one of the ones myself. Well, but like, it's like, oh, this is good enough for you guys. But I have a whole retirement plan. So <laughs> this thing is over. Well, Diallo, just because deal. you said plan, I have to ask both of you. Do you think the Cylons actually have a plan? Because I'm going to say this from knowing where this series goes. doesn't seem like they have any plan at all. I think that was just a cool phrase that they start, decided to open the show with. <laughs> that... Well, we t- I mean, we talked about that. That's literally what happened. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think Ron Moore talks about that, where like David Ike or something like he just thought that was cool or whatever, it, and it, talked him into putting it in there. And it, but like they, there there wasn't. Yeah. One. Later, they had to try to figure out a plan, which led to a really really terrible TV movie called The Plan. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, which is like, which also I think plays back into this episode actually a little bit. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I don't quite, because I, I can, because I, I don't remember the, yeah, well, is it, like I remember watching okay, it and well, I'm help, not liking help it. Help me but. out. And, and again, all your listeners are going to be shouting at me on this one, but it's fine. <laughs> um, I know that one of these like directed DVD movies is, a lot of the series from the perspective of Dean Stockton, is that his last name? Uh, the amazing Dean Al Stockwell. Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Stockwell. Um, the late great. Um, but it's from his, like, Cylon's perspective. Yeah, it's the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, it is the yeah, plan. And the plan. I know we come back to, like, New Caprica in that in that thing because we see his interactions mm-hmm. with Ellen in that. Yeah. You um, remember more I, of it than I do. I think it's uh, <laughs> it might be different interactions with Ellen because when – Early on in the series when Ellen suddenly shows up and it's all very mysterious and, like, they think maybe she's a Cylon because, you know, where has she been all this time? It In the plan, we find out that Cavill, the Cav- one of the Cavils that was in the fleet actually had saved her um, wherever she was on PyCon or whatever, Toron, and put her, like, knocked her out and put her on a, on a ship. Maybe um, that, that you, you might be right. Yeah, I don't think we go back as far as New Caprica in right. in the plan. But right. I've only seen it once. I didn't like it. We're going to cover it. So we'll have more answers later. I haven't rewatched it. And uh and all of the all the podcast commentaries Ron Moore is always like drinking like he starts yeah. to announce like he's drinking a scotch and he tells you what scotch I it is whatever. I used to listen to all the day. All the yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the time, right? Yeah, it was like a ritual for me the day after the episode aired. But um, I have a feeling, I have a strong feeling that when we do the plan, I will be drinking um, to get through that episode. Uh, I, I, I remember my one thought I can remember from that movie. And again, this was when at the height because, you know, they were sci-fi was releasing all these direct DV things. And I remember that came out and I was like, yeah, this is so it's the other one, like the one you guys just covered Raptor rapture or that sort of ties into Pegasus. Right. Am razor. I... We haven't done that. Oh. Yeah. We haven't done that yeah. yet, but yeah. Razor. My, yeah. my feelings about almost all of those directed DVD ones are, ah, unnecessary. <laughs> you know, I just don't. What? <laughs> I really liked razor. I thought razor was really, I thought razor was really well done. I think, the plan was faulty because it 
basically was like a clip show. Yeah. It was just basically just like, we're just going to go back and rehash everything that you already knew. So it wasn't really showing you anything new, new. Um, Razor does that to an extent, but it just, but it just kind of shows you, it jumps back, but it shows you like a completely different experience on the Pegasus versus the Galactica. I think they just wanted to use that set again or something. I think so. Um, (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, uh, sci-fi, it's actually funny to like kind of think about this kind of rewatching this. And I, you know, Jamie and I, we've talked about like, after this, they have Blood and Chrome, which we're going to cover. Um, but also, they had that Caprica uh, series um, that was sort of like a prequel to Battlestar Galactica. So Sci-Fi was really trying to like you know keep that keep the Battlestar thing going, and it, not, nothing ever stuck. Like it was just like it was like lightning in a bottle for the show, and that was about it. Um, but yeah, I remember they did TV movies for uh, Stargate. Which I enjoyed one of they them did. at least. Yeah, one of them is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we are uh, back in the uh, the detention center. Um, the Marines with uh, I forget her name from the previous episode. Her all of her uh, men there. Uh, Matthias, yeah, they're they uh, they're blowing all the doors with some C four and they rush in. Anders rushes in he finds starbuck and she's unconscious uh he picks her up puts her on her back and he carries her out back up in orbit we're back on the galactica see the cic's in disarray there's lots of sparks <laughs> flying everywhere um ron moore talks about how like you know just like moving forward he was very adamant that they weren't just gonna like fix everything up and everything so he'd like a lot of the uh, the burn marks and stuff that you see in the walls are going to be there for a while. So he wanted to give this idea that it wasn't just back to normal. Um, but they, the Dreadus is back online and they have the two uh, base ships and then another two jump in and Adama basically is like, we can't hold off four. So the Galactica is in taking heavy, heavy, heavy fire. You have Adama's running around plugging in cables and it's just so wild. Um, and the jump drive doesn't work anymore. Um, it's not looking very good, and it's over. Adama kind of reali- realizes it, like, this is it. And he tells everybody it's been an honor. Um, it's very, like, kind of, like, quiet moment that he has, um, that he's facing death with the people that he has led in battle. Um, and then a really beautiful shot of the Galactica in the midst of some of the base stars just pummeling it and zooming out. And then all of a sudden, pew, pew, pew. (laughs) And you see the Pegasus. Yeehaw. It's like, just like Han Solo. Um, And it just starts um, blasting the, uh, it's like, I I think it takes out, I think it takes out one of the, uh, one of the base stars like right away, I think. Which I appreciate Um, because that also like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea that like, you know, because Pegasus was newer, it's stronger than Battlestar. Like, or excuse me, stronger than Galactica. Yeah. So like, I like that it can take out one in like no time at all. The Galactica would be able to take out one, take one out too, except that everything is disabled right now. Like nothing is working. 
Well, Adama lit it on fire. What do you expect? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And like it, it had it had the element of surprise. It could target directly wherever it needed to hit in the exhaust port, just like Luke Skywalker. You know, like all that stuff, you know. So that's why it like more likely could have taken it out than say even I think even if Galactica had the opportunity to, I don't know that it would have been able to take it out like right away, but the Galactica was in the midst of some other business, so never would have had the chance. Um, but that yeah, Lee, radio, Lee radios into the Galactica, and he says that they'll share the load, basically. <laughs> He's, uh... <laughs> Can you do that again? <laughs> share the load. I just watched. I just rewatched. Uh, I just rewatched uh, Lord of the Rings uh, for of a it's New Year's. Pretty good, Sean so. Astin as uh, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he just basically is like, yeah, we're, we're going to take on some of this until you guys can get your FTLs back online. And then he says, very ominous, and we'll take care of the rest. Adama says, damn you, Lee, because obviously Lee did not obey his orders. But then he says, thank you, Lee. Um, Lee To himself, is... not to Lee. Yeah, to, yeah, not to <laughs> Lee, yeah. But this is, he's not this a good dad. Let's just where... admit that right out the gate. He's, he's well, never been a really yeah. great dad. No, not at all. I mean, like Lee, as, as much as Lee has like, like yeah, you know, Lee is not like the best person at all the time. Like he definitely has legit reasons oh, yeah. to not like his father. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's. But this is also the moment where, like, I was talking about earlier, where like Lee is actually like himself again. Yeah. Like I actually feel like he's acting like Lee Adama the character. Um, just like the way he talks and the new, like, you know, um, that almost like the same Lee that was the same Lee that took over the Pegasus in that, uh, the episode, uh, Captain's Hand. It's just sort of like, he just, he's, he's back to the guy, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, he directs the Pegasus to go right into the center and, uh, of all the explosions. Um, and we're back, uh, Back down in the detention center, they're all on their way out, and then Starbuck wakes up, and she immediately is like, let me, you, hey, hey, you big strong man with your biceps, can you put me down? <laughs> and uh, for her, she's kind of like, oh, is it really you? So they have this whole moment where you're like, oh, like, you know, but then she's like, where's Casey? <laughs> and then... Anders is like, who's Casey? And then she says, she's my daughter. But I don't think, like, I don't, I don't know if Anders really heard her or whatever, because, like, he kind of doesn't know what's going on a little bit later. She immediately runs back to where she came from. And what's going on? Um, So on Colonial One, the Cylons are all ready to evacuate. Uh, Deanna volunteers to stay behind, and she says to set off the nuke. And it's a they had talked about this in the previous episode where there was, like, a um, I think um, uh, Dural says we could just like nuke the whole thing if nothing works out here. So that's what I guess she's going to do. Um, she tells Six to leave, but also, uh, but says Baltar, um, she offers Baltar to actually be able to stay, like not stay on Caprica, but like leave with them, I guess. Yeah. Um, and he, she doesn't think he. She doesn't. She doesn't think he would want to be here after they're gone, which obviously you know she has a point. Um, 
and she basically uh, Balter's not like he's kind of like what but she's like yeah you like you were right and we were wrong um and there's got to be some reward for that she says um it's uh and then they all leave well uh Deanna and the other side Deanna and the other Cylons leave and then Six urges him a Baltar to go but he says he wants to just sit and die yep and then so Data dramatic. is like well <laughs> actually here's an opportunity <laughs> and he has a gun on Baltar and says you're gonna get your wish yep and this is like the first time we really see Gaeta, like, I don't know, super proactive. Yeah, well, yeah, Gaeta taking some kind of stand instead of, I mean, he's been doing stuff. He's been, you know, a spy or whatever, um, but this is the first time he's actually, like, standing up for what he believes in. I like Gato quite a bit. It is interesting that you're right that Gata stands up in this because Gata, like a lot of yeah. other characters on the show, including D, I think were always just kind of featured extras. And because of the way the show expanded, they actually got roles in the show, which is like great for those actors. Um, but it's always interesting to see like which actors I feel are able to step up into those bigger roles and really do it like uh, Hilo and some that aren't who, uh, who I won't name. Because huh. I think they're, I think they're, well, uh, okay, let, I'll say it, Billy. You better Billy. not be talking about race track. No, I'm talking oh. about Billy. <laughs> oh, Billy. Billy, Billy's, Billy's death was a thing that I think was, he was a character that stuck around way too long, in my opinion. <laughs> well, he, he was supposed to stay around longer, but the actor got cast in a pilot, and so they released him from his contract. Oh, uh, Or no, he, he, they didn't release him from his contract. He, he got cast in a pilot and so they offered him a, a contract and he decided to go with the pilot because it was a, a starring role instead of a supporting role and then that pilot didn't get picked up and they killed it's, off the character to let it's him go. The, it's the dice you roll sometimes but you know there you go yeah and there's no, you know who's to say even if he stuck around yeah they might have like killed him that anyway. never happened yeah because yeah, it's not like we're you know we thought we uh when they killed off Ellen Ty like there was on the commentary he uh, Ron Morgan actually talks about the call that he and David Icke had to make to uh Kate Hudson Kate Hudson Kate Hudson wow <laughs> very different blonde <laughs> <laughs> oh man Vernon Vernon Kate Vernon yeah yeah um and like they were like yeah she was sad and we were sad and everyone was sad it's actually kind of funny but he's like yeah but you know story comes first you know kind of Kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, um, there's other characters that don't make it. So um, who's to say that, you know, Billy wouldn't have, yeah, he he wouldn't have been lost along the way anyway. Yeah. But who knows? Um, he's been, I looked on his IMDb and he's been on a lot of like Hallmark. Uh, well, it makes sense. They shoot something. a lot of those in Canada. So there you go. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, uh the uh outside we see really some really cool shops uh shots of the ships that are jumping and i noticed in this uh this jump i like i was afraid uh, i think I, I brought this up in the season finale there's this one ship that is like a bunch of circles um <laughs> that i always used to draw as a kid from the original show 
whenever I was drawing a picture of like the Galactica that was like oh, I don't know why it's like my favorite ship whatever and I thought it got destroyed when um when uh what's Shelly not Shelly Godfrey uh when um Gina. what's that version yeah G when Gina blows up the I said the rising star but no it survived so you see that's one of the ships that's uh jumping as their FTLs are online um up in space Pegasus taking taking all the hits um and then Hilo back on Galactica Hilo remarks that they the Pegasus has none of their birds up in the air and then um Adama kind of exposition expositions us <laughs> and he's like well, yeah uh he knew that it would be a one-way trip and he left all his planes to guard the civilian ship so Lee wasn't just being so cavalier that he wasn't thinking ahead at least somewhat um but that still is a pretty big risk that he took mm-hmm. um um and then he also says he'll ev- evac before the end um and then he's like land our birds and then all those really cool combat landings that Adama was always adamant on from the very first episode and Apollo was uh critical of uh they all land and then Galactica jumps and then back on the pla- uh, back on the planet, Gaeta is still having a standoff of Baltar, and he says that he believed in Baltar and this dream of New Caprica, but Baltar only believed in himself. Basically, and he says like you like you wanted the good life, but booze the pills. He says hot and cold running interns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I feel like uh, the whole Monica Lewinsky thing was still like in the air. That just the fact that he used the term interns, um, but uh, he uh, Baltar Argeta's kind of like I turned in. I I turned out to be. And he pauses and then Baltar finishes and says an idealist, and there's no sin in that. And just kind of bringing up those lines because like as. Um, I think the reason why Baltar is such an effectively good, bad character is because James Callis is such a great actor. Yeah. Um, and he's able to say these lines in such a way that even when they're like, even though Baltar is kind of like the worst, there's like this truth in him. Yeah. And he gives us a context for Gaeta that is actually true and it will be important the next episode also i agree with that because um, james callis is an actor very similar to patrick stewart which may be the reason why they cast him as uh, patrick stewart's uh father in a flashback in picard season two don't ever watch it it's, it's fine um <laughs> james callis can take the worst written line and make it sound beautiful like mm-hmm. he is just one of these actors, and I think that explains a lot of where where they take Baltar throughout the series and all the different places. Like, oh, let's make him president. Oh, let's make him a cult leader. Let's let him hang out with the Cylons mm-hmm. for a while. It's because I think they knew he could handle. Similar to Michael Hogan, I think they knew that he could handle it, that he could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he. It, the the in the commentary again, uh, Ron Moore talks about how. James Callis actually was very active in keeping them honest about Baltar. So he was very sort of like protective about the character. And yeah. So like he, he, there was an integrity to who that character was. And I like, 
like Jason, what you were kind of like what you were saying, like Baltar goes through all of these different mm-hmm. situations and that, but at the core of Baltar is always like, like I'm a survivor. Yeah. Right. And so you see why, like he, even so he's in, he, he is a cult leader, but he's not like, I am a cult leader. He's more like, oh, these people think I'm a cult leader. I'm going to kind of go along with well, that's this because this is expedient for me right that's now. That's the thing because it's it would be too easy for a lesser group of writers and creators to take a character like Baltar and make him a joke. It would be so easy to make him one note and a joke, which is I kind of think what happened in the original. I mean, with the original Baltar, it's, it's definitely what happens with uh, Dr. Smith in the original Lost in Space mm-hmm. show. Like he becomes mm-hmm. a joke after episode one. And yeah, yeah, that is a thing that like this series does, I think, very well with Baltar all the way to the final episode is that he is a smart man and he recognizes opportunities to, as like you said, Diallo, to survive. He he knows, okay, I should go over with these people for a bit. All right, now it's time to leave them. All right, he like he knows what a lot of characters I would say don't know, and what a lot you know a lot a lot of people don't realize is that he knows the. He knows exactly when to exit. He's very good at that. He knows exactly when <laughs> yeah. to jump off the ship. Yeah. He knows when it's expedient yeah. to take a different course of action, for sure. Um so yeah, he uh through through like through this interaction, um he first of all, he's just kind of like you know, kind of following up on that, yeah, I do want to die thing. So he, like, he says that there's a nuke and he can stop it, but he's also like, kill me, <laughs> right? And so he walks, as Gaeta is holding his gun up, he walks to Gaeta and begs, like, kind of, and I, and I believe him. Like, it's not like a, in some other scenes you get that, like, you're, like, betting that the person, like, that character's betting that person doesn't have the stones to do it. You know, but in this case, I really do think Baltar's really just like like just kill me now, please. Um, but Gaeta kind of relents and lets him go, and he tells him he tells Baltar that he's got one chance to put things right. So Baltar and Six head out. Um, uh, back on the Pegasus, uh, Apollo commands D to set, like to set the main batteries to auto fire and then Lee orders them to abandon ship. He seems very super chill about it. Abandon ship, abandon ship, all hands abandon ship. <laughs> it's not very <laughs> you know, um it is. This is the last uh we get the last shot of the Pegasus. There's like a kind of symbolic uh, inside, like one of the, the, there's like this glass that has like the Pegasus symbol on it and it like kind of dramatically explodes. And then um, Lee, like he's kind of like that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air scene when he's leaving Uncle Phil's house for the last time. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what what he does in Pegasus. Ken takes one last look and then walks off. it's uh the from and you know I kind of wanted to talk to you Jason ab- about this aspect because um in the commentary Ron Moore actually talks about um their plans for moving forward mm-hmm. and that actually was integral in them destroying Pegasus 
um, because of budget and production, and they needed new sets. Oh, okay. So they so okay. So that makes sense. So they probably only had so much sound space or, or soundstage space, and the Pegasus yeah. Bridge or CIC was taking up that space. And they were like, yeah. well, if we get rid of this, we can build a new – you know, okay, so here this makes sense because – correct me if I'm wrong. Right after this or very soon, we see inside the Cylon Base Star, right? And those are the sets. So those are the sets that replace the Pegasus sets. Okay, that makes sense yeah. now. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diallo, let me so, ask you this. Does he say anything else in the commentary that he actually does or they actually do later on? Or do does it change wildly from what he says in the commentary of this episode? What do you? Uh, what do well, you like mean? when he's talking about like the future plans, or does he give any like specific details? Um, no, I mean he talks about how they they, they use these sets for the for the uh, what do you call it for the peg for the Cylons mm-hmm. ships. Um, he talks just about how like they really blew their budget for these first. He said he says that the the new Caprica episodes were incredibly expensive. Yeah, of course and they, they were in long location. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they said so they blew their budget. And that you know, after he said that, I'm kind of thinking ahead to the episodes they do. Even even the season, uh, mid season finale. No, that's the season season finale. I'm thinking about. Um, no, but I'm just kind of like when I start thinking about all the a lot of the other episodes, they're all sort of like, you know, um, in a, in bo- what bottle episodes? Mm-hmm. Mostly. They're a lot on the ship, right? Um, a lot of Battlestar. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like, oh, that kind of makes sense. There's like, you know, there's not a lot of like stuff, quote unquote, um, physical movement happening. It's just a lot of it goes back to like being the drama because that's a lot less expensive, right? Um, so, um, but like, what, like from your experience, like, like even like writing for a show, like a sci-fi mm-hmm. type show, like, what, do you have? Because like, you know, we like we get we get really into like the the minutia of like story here and what actually happened. Mm-hmm. But you know, like part of my brain does this a lot where I'm watching stuff. Like you said, it's like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, that costs, that probably costs a lot. And this costs a lot, but I don't really get into it. Cause I'm like, I don't, I sort of infer, but I don't have like direct experience with that. But like for you, like, would you like, like with, like with this episode and like kind of thinking about the rest of the show, like how, how much of that do you see um, the writing directing like the direction of the show versus like or orga- like if this was if this was in a comic book or a graphic novel mm-hmm. or a novel versus it being on TV, how would you like approach doing things differently? Well, the interesting here's the easiest thing, especially in Battlestar oh. is such a sort of bottle of time because it was this era where Sci-Fi Channel actually made television um you know because they were also doing stargate and warehouse 13 and a bunch of other eureka was on the sci-fi channel um and i think the budget for all these shows was something like one million an episode or two million an episode which to now sounds you know like most episodes of star trek now are like 10 million or higher like game of thrones was 15 like that's the that's where we're at for this similar type of show just 20 years later um the easiest way you can tell that an episode is designed to save production money is count how many new sets you see. Hmm. I mean, now that's the, that's like the classic example of a bottle episode, right? Like if an episode takes place 
all on like the CIC or the hangar deck and the mess hall and you don't see anything else and there are like no CGI shots, you know that that was a, an episode that they had to like compress, compress, compress. And it's interesting that you bring this up about how expensive New Caprica was because I do remember from my perspective, and it'll be interesting to see if you guys have the same feeling when you watch them, that after this point, there's a lot of episodes where nothing really happens. And that that would make so much sense because um, when, you, when you are thinking about a sci-fi show, you have to really consider your VFX shots. Because on average, like just to give you an idea, uh, 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 and this, is, this number is not set in stone, right? This is just an, an example number I'm throwing around. Cutting to a window of moving stars that is a green screen on a sci-fi show could be anywhere from 20000 to forty grand just for that one shot. So you have to think about, okay, if we're going to do a battle sequence with like Vipers and Raiders, that's getting up into 100000 200000 and your budget's only $2 million. So you have to think about that. It, it, it always is the race of how many VFX shots can we do, how many actors can we have, and then also it's how many guest actors can we have because guest actors cost money that are that are extra outside of your production budget. Your your cast is always – you always know how much your cast is, right? Because you sign them for like 13 episodes. They cost this much. They're, they are there – they can be there every single day or one day. They're always going to cost that amount. But for every guest actor we bring in, well, that's money on top of that number. And so it's always fighting that number. It's always fighting sets because you always have to build – sets cost money. So you're hoping – usually the idea is that you build um, one set that you can shoot over several episodes. So the costs are sort of amortized over several episodes. And then it's VFX. So uh, thank you for coming into production, uh, Sci-Fi Television Production Corner. I hope that was interesting. I'm not boring at all. <laughs> no, I mean it's funny because like I actually I do think it's important because you know I think we I think I, I kind of was talking about it on our last podcast or the podcast before where you know there there are some shows where you I I personally could tell oh, yeah. that they were trying to use this set, but that it got in the way of. Um, telling an effective I'll say story this. Because, I actually I also think was Battlestar, because like, I know Battlestar's budget was low. I think mm-hmm. Battlestar is a show that uses its production budget very well. Battlestar, to me, looks like a show that is more expensive than I know what they spent on it. Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because, like, I think a lot, some of that was the choice of how they shot the yes, show. Yeah, it's very well so, shot show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like doing the, doing like the, mo- like the, whatever like the documentary style mm-hmm. i think helped hide some of that stuff but he's also praising like you know the uh zoic studios that was doing this he's like constantly praising here's, here's another way because i know this will be like the last sort of episode that you'll talk about new caprica except for this flashback think about the sets of um new caprica right new mm-hmm. caprica was basically forests which they already had they were already using in previous episodes but it was mainly mm-hmm. just this like corridor of tents with this sort of, um, you know, it looked like the piping that you see at concerts where uh, roadies hang like lights and speakers, you know? Yeah, totally. So, and that, <laughs> and beyond, and then I believe 
it, I couldn't quite tell, but it looked like the outside of the Cylon compound was VFX. It looked like that building was not real. Um, it looked like the gate was real, but it looked like because we never really saw, we never really saw a shot where somebody like we the camera followed somebody into the building. It was always like as soon as they got to the door, it cut, and then they were inside. Which to me says like, yeah, oh, okay, so you just like picked a corner of a warehouse for Sharon to walk in, and then but mm-hmm. when we saw it in wide shots, I think it, I think it was a VFX shot. I could be completely wrong. So when you think about that, there's not that much. There's not that much there that would ma- – it would have been expensive to, like, set it up for the first episode. But beyond that, it's really not expensive. So you have to think about, like, oh, these episodes were expensive because of VFX, because of all the Cylon robots that showed up, the explosions. Every time you use a weapon, you fire a weapon, that's expensive because um, blanks are not cheap. Um, and having people that actually know how to fire blanks on a production set and do them s- safely – uh, and do that safely, you know, uh, that takes a lot of time, too. Yeah. So, J- Jamie, you brought this up uh, because it was, uh, I think it was downloaded, that episode. I remember I remember Ron Moore saying that that was an incredibly expensive episode, and my brain didn't really register that that would be the case. And, Jamie, you brought up the fact that you were like, yeah, it would have been because they had a lot of, like, centurions. Yeah. In that episode, and I just I had never really thought about it that way. Because for me, I thought, oh, why would that episode be uh, expensive? They were just kind of like standing around the whole. Well, and episode. also being Not outside, happened, but... just and a lot of New Caprica is outside. That is also a very expensive, mm-hmm. and that is always expensive because. You have to. It's transportation costs. It's not. It's not the fact that you're outside. It's the fact that wherever that is, I guarantee you, was probably an hour outside of Vancouver in some park, mm-hmm. and you have to take. All of your camera equipment, all of your lighting, all of your actors—an hour outside of Vancouver. That's a lot of gas. Does the thirty-mile zone count for Canada, Canadian? Uh, oh, you know, I like think TMZ? I think Vancouver has a wider. I think Vancouver. I can't remember. I just I literally heard this the other day. I think Vancouver's zone is wider than that. Actually, hmm. they yeah, because they did a lot of those shots. Uh, you know, for that that lake house or whatever. Um, uh, in the Baltar and six scenes. Um, and I, and that's a, I mean, I think that's a good ways away from Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far away it was. So that, that definitely makes sense. But, uh, anyways, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, sometimes I get super critical of, you know, when I'm watching TV shows and then I have to like pull back a little bit and be like, oh, you know, like budget and, you know, time and stuff. It, it definitely does affect, like how stories are told and some some shows are better at it than others yes you know mm-hmm. and that's kind of what i'll say like when i'm watching um yellow jackets for instance i you know kind of like i uh, someone was complaining that I, they were complaining how like oh you can tell the snow's fake and i'm like well like like what do you want for what what do you want yeah <laughs> like the it is, you it know, is make-believe. Like I mean, that's the thing we have to, like, yeah. some people just need to realize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah when so. I, before I lived in California, I went, I went out to L.A. with some friends, and I went on a Warner Brothers studio tour, because um, I had to kill some time by myself, and I got to walk onto the ER set, and this was in the summer or spring, can't remember but it wasn't cold but they'd been filming 
winter stuff. So there was this fake snow all over the ground. And it was, it's fake snow. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, this is the, the ambulance bay that I see on TV all the time. And oh, look, there's all the snow all over the place. But even now, when I watch ER reruns, I'm not like, oh, it looks so fake. I'm just like, okay, yeah, it looks like snow. Like, I know it wasn't filmed in Chicago. And it does not right. snow in L.A. So, like, just be be a little realistic. Like, we are watching television. As long as it doesn't look, you know, so bad. I'd rather them use fake snow than use, like, digital snow, which looks even worse. Yeah. There's a whole side conversation that uh, we won't get into. But the uh, just how the, like, audiences are, are – we've been going down this slide towards wanting realism – um, and I more and more, and I, I do think like there's an element of that being to the detriment. I of, agree. Like actually, actually being entertained. Um, cause like people demand so much realism that they kind of forget. And like in the instance of the show, there's the drama is not necessarily real. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, yeah. And like you want to have certain things happen from a dramatic perspective and it's just not going to be the way real life happens or even like you know sometimes or like they the, the there's even the conversation of like just because you think a special effect is good now mm-hmm. you might revisit it in five ten years and it might not hold up anymore so don't get so into that part that you can't enjoy this endeavor which is basically just high production stage plays yeah right that's like yeah. I mean, you know? there were a couple shots of the Cylons in this episode that I were like, "Ooh, don't look too good." But you know what? Yeah. This the story again. The story was so good that I don't care. Like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go like go back to like Lord of the Rings. Like, I, I, oh yeah, Return of the King to me is like the greatest movie ever made. But there are a couple shots in there. I'm like, yeah, that's a little person with a mm-hmm. really bad wig, and his clothes don't look good on him. You it's know, a little it's person like... wearing a an Elijah Wood mask. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, like I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It's like I don't, I don't know what to say. It happens sometimes. Oh, it's still, you know? like it, you know, an, a, a feat of filmmaking. So you know, we might understand things. Like I was rewatching Infinity War. Um, I've been on this kick this week where I've been rewatching all the Avengers movies, and it was the scene with. Thor and Peter Dinklage and you know Peter Dinklage's character is like ginormous and Mm -hmm. my boyfriend who works in in film was like oh that's forced perspective and I was like is Mm -hmm. it and he's like yeah yeah that's forced perspective like they're really really close up on Peter Dinklage and Chris Hemsworth is probably like way far away they want to make him look small without having to CGI or green screen Dinklage too much and I was like, okay, well, I didn't notice that, but cool. You know, like, it was yeah. done well enough that I don't pick that stuff out. Now, he does because he works in film. He knows what he's looking for. But I don't. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, that's that's what I expect as somebody who, you know, watches television and watches movies. Like, as long as I can't really see the seams, I'm all right with it. I will yeah. say any advice to any film fans out there, if you... uh 
don't want to be able to immediately spot any green screen or blue screen. Uh, don't ever work in any kind of editing where you have to key out green screens because from there on <laughs> out, uh-huh. it will ruin. You see it. Every, I see green screens left and right all the time where there, I wouldn't think there would be, but there are. they're there. Yeah he, yeah, he he notices it way more than I do because he knows – and not that he's – he doesn't do editing, but he interviews people on green screen a lot. So, because he works in reality TV, so he he knows what when it happens, he's like that's oh, green screened, and I'm just like, all right, I guess <laughs> I'll take I'll take your, <laughs> take your word on it. Like, it looks like one of those Battlestar flying motorcycles to me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, they were so cool. Oh God, um, I'm gonna have to YouTube that. Can we get back into uh, this? No. Yeah, we can. The, uh, <laughs> this is the green screen podcast. Because, yes, yes. Because this is the worst scene in the history of television, and I have to apologize, or not apologize, I have to admit when I'm wrong. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Diallo, you were like, no, but yeah, you know, he, she does. She kisses him. And I was like, no, she doesn't. I was wrong. She definitely does, and it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah so it's like when i was when i was saying that it was i wasn't even sure i just like i just remembered because like he the he says what he says and then i was just like yeah like and it happens but i didn't remember exactly how or what the context was and i yes, think it does. I, and i think i removed that file from my brain and threw it in my computer trash like i did not remember it at all and then when it happened well, when i was rewatching this time i was like ugh. No, it does happen. Fuck. I mean, she it happens. She doesn't mean it, but it's still like right. And I, I think that's that. I think I think that's why you delete it because she like this. They they will talk about the scene, but like she does like she does a really good job of showing how disgusting it is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like back in the detention center, Starbucks. Like she gets back to her um, the quarters that she had been in for four months, whatever. She's looking for Casey, and then Leo Ben enters with uh, Casey, and it's like, "I knew you'd be back. I saw it." And then, um, then there's that callback from from a few episodes before where he says, like, he has her close, and he's like, "Say the words." Um, she doesn't know at first what kind of what he's talking about, but then he's like, "You know what I want," and so um, I want to hear you say the words from before, just like I told you. Um, so she capit capitulates and she says i love you um and then that's not enough and he says say it again and then she repeats it and then like now the rest and so he had told her like and then you will embrace me and kiss me so she does that and i think that's that's the part where i think like katie sackhoff is conveys like the disgustingness of it Mm -hmm. But I will say that there also, I think, is a little bit of an element of is she, has she been pulled in a little bit by him? Just a crumb. I don't think so. Because they do have a, they do have a very complex relationship going all the way back to flesh and bone. And then um, as we move forward, I don't think. I'm not saying that, like, you know, she's got the hots for him. I'm not saying any of that. Um, but she's been put through a lot by him over the last few months. So there's just sort of like a, a little bit of a question. She sells it anyway. Um, but then <laughs> he's like, 
she she uh she asked him is it everything you thought it would be and he's like uh yeah i won't forget this moment and she says neither will i and then she kisses him again but this time she draws him in because she shows him a knife and well it doesn't show him but she uh she pulls out a knife and then stabs him in the chest and Casey's gonna definitely need therapy after <laughs> this. Well, hopefully Casey's <laughs> young enough that she won't remember any of this. <laughs> She's gone through quite a bit. Uh Leobin dies and then Anter- Anders enters. He like looks down, he sees Leobin dead, and then she she uh Starbucks scoops up Casey and says she'll explain it later. Peace out. Um, back in the streets of New Caprica, Baltar and Six are looking for Deanna. And, um, Deanna, and they're near, like, there's a shot, there's, again, things I never noticed before, but they're near Honey Bunny's tent from uh, last, uh, Amanda Plummer's tent from last episode. Well, that's because um, uh, Deanna's in the tent. Right. But it's like, she also, the significance for me anyways was I just kind of realized that that was literally the dream that she had. Um, and there was like shots of the tent in the dream where she was able to find it. But then she also, there were shots of that tent with dead bodies all around when her finding the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hear, uh, six and, um, Baltar hear the baby crying and Deanna's looking inside the tent. She says fracking liar. And I actually like, I actually kind of wondered in this moment or both of you, do you think she... It kind of made me think, did she go to actually find the nuke or was she going to find Hera? I assumed she was it was going Hera. to find Hera. Yeah, I assumed she yeah. was never going for the nuke. Okay. But I also understand that they needed some sort of ticking clock to like explain mm-hmm. why everybody needed yeah. to get off the surface. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, Baltar finds Maya dead and we won't see her again until she pops up on Eureka as Joe. Um but he finds Hera beside her, and then um, Head Six appears right then and uh, says it's her, the first of God's new generation. Um, and then Real Six <laughs> remarks that, Caprica Six remarks that it's a miracle. Um, a line from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt popped in my head when she said, it's a miracle. Anyways, <laughs> Deanna appears... <laughs> Deanna appears behind them and asks to hold Hera. And this, again, call back to the interaction a few episodes before where Six, uh, where Deanna asks uh, Caprica Six if all this was worth it to protect Baltar. Caprica Six is like, hey, like, you know, you look, if you knew what love was, you would understand. Um, and so when she finally holds the baby, she understands what love is. And this actually um, is part of Deanna's arc moving forward um, as she starts to kind of break down, I think, what her allegiance is and her idea of her, of her path. Um, and it gets a little bit more complicated as we move forward for her. But anyways, Baltar wants to shoot her. Six stops him, says she won't set off the nuke. Um, and then they leave. Um so, <laughs> on Colonial One, Tori enters. <laughs> I love her so much. See? And uh, <laughs> she, 
I don't know. So she walks in. I'm like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be okay now. Um, Jammer's stupid face walks in also. Um, and then uh, they're kind of like, like, clear it out. Rosalind comes in, takes her chair, just like um, just like Cisco did in the infamous episode when they first take back, when they take back uh, Deep Space Nine. Sits back in her chair finally. She removes, I think it's like, she, it's her journal or is it the... Uh, the scrolls of Pythia. I didn't. I wasn't really sure which. I think it behind. Thing, which they were. I think it was her journals. Is <laughs> her journals? What'd you say? Why did she, she, she leave those behind for Baltar to read? I don't understand that. Oh no, they were. She <laughs> had them tucked in her jacket. Oh, yeah, they were okay, in her jacket. It. Sorry, yeah, my yeah. yeah, she had been. Yeah, she'd been carrying her. And I, I was thought like, she left in there for functional. Baltar. I was like, Baltar knows all her secrets now. How much she loves Adama. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, she like functionally. I knew it was her journal, but there was like symbolically. I thought it was like kind of cool if it was like the scrolls and it was kind of like they were back on their path but it's probably her journal um anyways she sits down calmly is like all right now i'm ready to go and then the colonial one takes off we back on the hangar deck and she's back at work he's in chief mode now <laughs> mm-hmm. and um he like see starbuck and he's like it's kind of giddy to see her and giddy a uh, giddy starbucks holding casey and then Tyrrell asks, like, who is this? And then Anders is like, yeah, uh, I don't know what's going on with that. And Starbuck is like, Starbuck, this is. And then all of a sudden you hear Casey, um, another another's woman is saying it. And we turn and it's this other blonde haired woman who ends up being Casey's real mother. <laughs> so she thought that Casey was dead after the silence took her. And... Um, Takes back Casey. Thanks, Starbuck, so much for protecting her. Kind of thinking that, like, Starbuck whisked her away and saved her. Um, yeah. Leaving Starbuck just all messed up. Okay. So, I know it's television. I don't know how long the flight is from the surface of the planet up to the Galactica. But in that time, <laughs> Anders didn't say, do you want to explain this child? You almost made me spit my water out. <laughs> and you got and you have to assume that it's probably at minimum, even though these are spaceships, 15, 20 minutes. Right. At minimum. Right. So I know, like, we need to see them have that conversation or whatever, but it's mm. stuff like that. It's just such a TV trope thing where I'm like, but then what did you talk about on this? Hey, so uh, New Caprica, right? That's crazy, <laughs> like, right? Nothing you, you no, he was probably updating her. He probably updated her on on all his pyramid scores. He's like, "Well, I did this game and I got fifty and on this game I got twenty. You should have seen it. And then I did this like hook shot with my arms. Look, have you seen my arms?" Anders is not just some dumb jock. I will have no slander of my television boyfriend here. He hits the weight. He hits the weights, but he's also pretty. Smart. I ripped off all the sleeves of my shirts. <laughs> That's what Sometimes I did for four months straight. To. We don't know. Those sleeves could have been really tight. That's true. Yeah, he could have he could have hulked out of all of them. Yeah, like cutting off the circulation, like when like when Hemsworth bulked up too much between when he got cast and did a costume fitting, and then he had his costume for the actual filming of Thor, and his costume was cutting off the circulation in his arms, and they're like, "You got too big," and they had to like remake the sleeves on his costume. Just saying, sometimes it happens. That's a true story. I like the Jack jack reacher guy like he's so much bigger in season two than he was in season oh, one alan richardson like, he's huge. 
Yeah. yeah. I heard the same thing happened to Christian Bale when he played Batman and Batman Begins is that they they did like a fitting and then he like gained 250 pounds. He came back, couldn't fit in the Batman suit. And they're like, you got to lose 25 pounds. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> oh, Christian Did Bale. it make his voice extra scratchy? Probably. Yeah. That's <laughs> probably the reason. Did he scream at people voice. in between shots? Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you, what you're saying though, Jamie, is like correct. Cause I, and like I brought up a little bit earlier, like when, like, she says that she has to go back and get her daughter or whatever. So, like, he was right there. I know, so, but like, he was they... he was like, wait, what? Who's Casey? And she's like, my right. daughter. And she's, like, running it. But then, like, the question, right. I guess we just. Uh... So, but I'm what I'm saying is even more so, he sh- they should have had that conversation, yeah. like, right away. Like, what you're saying. Yeah. Like, like that, that's not the kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Chief's like, who's this? And. Anderson's like, yes, yeah, my question too. Like, well, but were you guys on different shuttles? Like, what happened here? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of convenience because I mean, just the fact that like, just the fact that her mother happened to be right there yeah. at that at that moment. Like, there's a lot of that yeah, stuff yeah. going on, right? So, you know, TV. It's TV. I know. I know. We we love it. It's just a, it's just a uh, nit I had to pick. That's all. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, those are those are all things that existed somewhere in my brain for sure. Um, so Adama is welcoming everyone. We get a like kind of cool shot of Sharon hugging her man, mm-hmm. hugging, hugging, hugging Jamie's other man. Um, <laughs> Ty, Ty emerges from his raptor. Man, that guy, he has gone oh through a lot, and he's gonna go through some more. I and more and more and more. Every time I watch this, when he, when Adama's like, you brought him home, Saul, and he says, not all of them, and his voice cracks, I fucking lose it. I cry every time. It could, because it's, it's so powerful. What a performance. I mean, I love the makeup of this entire scene, because, like, and I think about this often with any like sort of like war battle thing. And I, you know, for the most part, TV and movies kind of like, you know, kind of like glass glosses over this, but it's like, dude, you lost a lot of people yeah. in this battle. And it's like, it's always like ecstatic celebration um, for the, you know, for the sake of like, you know, the emotion, but this actually really minds like the juxtaposition of like this great dramatic, victory but also the tragedy um in the midst of this. so you like you have that scene where he's like not everybody and then um you start hearing chants of adama adama and they pick up adama and like kind of celebrate so you have that part right where everyone's celebrating the ewoks and uh are celebrating <laughs> dancing at the end of return of the jedi but then you have this shot of ty just like He's just lost, like, like basically for him everything. And then also you have another shot of Starbuck, who has lost everything. There's even like a quick shot of like Gaeta leaning against the um, Raptor, just like what the f-? like, mm-hmm. like you know, like a little you know. And like this, the, to me, that's like kind of like that's what part of what Battlestar is about, or how it executes things because it's not everything's not always like clean yeah um there's always like there's always like complexity happening in these moments and it's never just 
um, we never forget about the people. I think, uh, you know, that episode when Starbucks lists off the names of the pilots, you know, it's like these things all carry a weight for them and we're not just going to forget about them. Um, Which is what makes the show brilliant. Yeah. Jamie, my version of always crying or I don't cry, but um, <laughs> is whenever whenever Buffy has to stab uh, Angel. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, every time. I'm always like, oh. Minus when she jumps off <laughs> so the tower. Good. Oh, that's yeah, that's really good. That's really good, too. It's great music also. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways. Uh, if I may, I would love, since we're here at the end of the episode, this is a discussion that I've wanted to have about this episode in ARC. And I want to hear from the Battlestar experts. So when I rewatched this episode, I also rewatched part one just to make sure that I would have all the details. And from Amazon, I I believe this whole new Caprica arc is only three episodes, correct? Am I right about this? It's four because the first two episodes, um, Occupation and Precipice, were aired as one episode originally and then was split so, so, so that's interesting. It's so it's much shorter hours. than I. Yeah, it's so much shorter than I thought it was. And also, you know, Ron Moore comes from Deep Space Nine, and that you can tell that this is sort of winking back to the Dominion War. Uh, it's not the entire Dominion War arc in Deep Space Nine, but in Deep Space Nine, there is a six-episode arc where the Dominion control Deep Space Nine, um, and it's mm-hmm. quite possibly maybe the one, six of the best episodes of the entire series. Um, I was actually saying that yeah. last episode where like I always loved Deep Space Nine, but that's when like I went insane for Deep Space Nine. It was in those episodes. Yeah. And and there's some people and yeah. I would there's some people that would say that Deep Space Nine never got better than those six episodes, even though it went on for two more seasons. Um mm-hmm. I have always felt that the new Caprica arc should have been longer. And I'm gonna throw out this crazy theory. I've always had the weird idea that Maybe this entire season should have been New Caprica. We did discuss so, this Jamie, last yeah, week. Yeah, I was this. yeah, I was like, Jamie, you take yeah, it. Yeah, so please, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And I'm sorry, if, I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, if I'm bringing up old ground. We discussed this last week, and my opinion is if it had been the whole season, they would have had to spin their wheels too much, and it would have made Adama and, and probably the the um, resistance fighters on New Caprica have to make stupid decisions. It would have to have them have a bunch of failed plans. So I feel like it would have, it it would have lessened the impact of what we got here. There, there just would have been too much filler to, to make it, it have what we got here, which was really emotional really like had such a huge impact and i don't think that we would be talking about it the way that we are because i think Mm. it would have it personally i think it would have ruined the show if they had been there even i mean they could have been there a couple more episodes and and still been able to pull it off but if they had done a whole season like we compared it to the walking dead like those people. Oh, you mean like sitting around Herschel's uh, farm for the entire sitting season? around the farm, sitting around yeah, the prison. That's exactly what it's like. Like all of that stuff. It's just so much of like, why are you making such stupid decisions all the time? It's a fair and point. I, 
I think that we wouldn't be looking back on this show as favorably as we do. Hmm. Well, you know what, Jamie? I kind of agree with you. But, you know, I'm still going to say I would have liked three more episodes. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to throw that out there. I mean, yeah. these are – I did say last week, like, to me, this is like – for me, this is the apex. This is like – I agree. The most excited that I was I, – I mean, I love everything about this show. And these episodes I think about still, like, even when I'm not covering the show or whatever, I think about New Caprica. And then I think about what happens at the end of the season with learning who the final four of the final five are. Those two things are so high up for me of, like, this is perfect television that made me, like, scream and jump out of my seat and, like, lose my mind. If they'd done one or two more episodes, that would have been great. But I just don't think it should have gone longer than, like, six. All right. Fair point. Yeah. I'm I'm on the same track. Like, a few more. Like, I think as it is, like, they... There was a lot. I mean, like they. I think he said uh, Exodus Part One or Exodus Parts One and Two initially were going to be one episode. Well, it was going to be much. one episode. Yeah, that was just Exodus. Yeah. but they just had too much. Yeah. Too, too much story. Yeah, and so like they, you know, in a in a world where like if you didn't have to deal with like like the production side of things and like budget, yeah, I uh, like three more episodes would have been like would have been fine. Um, there's like one of the things about the show, like I, I started like, as you were, you asked the question, Jason, I started thinking a little bit and I was like, you would have had to have had a whole separate arc that sent like Galactica and Pegasus off. Yeah. Yeah. And, but like the, the, the problem with, uh, I shouldn't say problem, but the thing about this show that I actually think makes it great was like in, cause I was just watching, um, I've been concurrently watching, um, the original Battlestar, and I just watched an episode this morning before going into this one where we find out that uh, Starbucks' father is actually Fred Astaire. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. What? But <laughs> I'm not I'm not going into it anymore. Played I'm gonna let by everybody Fred look Astaire into this. or is <laughs> yes, Fred Astaire? Yeah, played by, yeah, play, no, played by Fred Fool's Astaire. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. cover that no, episode. He was like, yeah. It was like far Starbucks' father, and it was Fred Astaire, and... Uh, there was a question of whether he was or not, and you know they had like, and it was like DNA testing wasn't even like a thing in the seventies. It was like the sci-fi concept, and they were like, I don't know how you could do that. It was so crazy. Anyways, um, but like the thing about that show was that, um, and one of the things I loved about the remake was that they removed all of the elements of like other planets with other aliens, and you know, kind of like Planet of the Week kind of deal, um, but. That also meant that that would make the Galactica and Pegasus off doing something else harder to pull off for that much longer because there's not, what are they going to do? You know what I mean? Um, there's no one, like, they, they sell the idea of space being this lonely, barren place. So other than, like, oh, we need to find a bunch more, uh, I almost said dilithium, uh, tilium um you know stores or something like that to get the ships off like how like how much more can you do you know um so it just would i don't think they would have been been able to sustain it for a whole season and have it be as compelling so i do think that they had like the good uh the right amounts like you said they could have been it could have been an episode or two longer but i think they hit the right amount for sure and 
like I said, like you said, like those Deep Space Nine episodes, like blew my mind. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things where I just think about where you know, and again, my memory is fuzzy, a little fuzzy going forward, but it it I do agree with what Jamie said that to me this is the pinnacle of Battlestar, like it's this arc, mm-hmm. and I don't know if they ever beat it. And I think they do a lot of good stuff that I love coming up, but I don't think any of it ever tops watching Galactica fall through an atmosphere. This is the last episode, I think, where organically, like, how like this the story about like trying to find Earth. This is the last um, non contrived. <laughs> Uh, moment that happens and everything else after this I feel like is sort of like how do we keep the show going and I think they did a really good job of it I'm not saying that they didn't but they're sort of like you know the the premise is we're trying to find Earth right and that was what was driving the show up to this point and once they get off New Caprica they start dealing with the Cylons and that whole question that I like I was talking about a little bit before but because of that they had to start getting more philosophical and ask these other questions and like I and, and I think that's why like if my memory is correct um Ron Moore sort of like volunteered that the fourth season should be the last one because I kind of got I think you get the sense that they didn't really have much more else to do or say mm-hmm. about it so I do agree. Like, yeah, this is like this is like the peak, um, in terms of like the show, and they also it's sort of like they have to like after New Caprica, like they've been through this experience, and so just being back on the ship, it's kind of funny to say it because they went through like a uh, uh, sixty billion people Holocaust, but like after New Caprica, it's like you, it's not like you can just go back to the the way like they're like less innocent in some ways than they were before and so the show has to deal with that and it just doesn't have the same feel as it as it did and again i enjoy much of it after this but absolutely i think it takes on a different uh character from here on out yeah i just i don't think it's in a bad way i don't know i've always felt like this season I know there's some there's there's some like not low points I mean we're we're not talking about black market here like you know (laughs) there's there's some standalone episodes or whatever but soon we get into learning more about the Cylons Deanna really trying to figure out who the final five are us learning who the final five are which I can still remember like how much when it all started clicking in for me that I was just like, oh my, oh my God, oh my God, like losing my mind. Um, The stuff with Starbucks. I don't know. I just really, I really like this season. I think it, there's a lot of really interesting stories being told here. A lot of really cool ideas. So I don't think like, even if this is the peak that the down is like it's not like it fell off a cliff. No, 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 no. I just it's you know it just again it's just it's always an interesting thing to find. Like I said, like what we mentioned with D Space Nine, where a series like hits the top. Yeah. So Jason, I mean, you you might be a little bit like me, where like there's like sort of there's like two parts to me, right? So I I enjoy dramas, mm-hmm. right? 
but I like explosions, right? <laughs> and like I, you know, and so like the yeah, I do part part of why I ever responded to sci-fi in the very first place was, you know, uh, the concept of battles, or whatever, and then you know you, you have Star Wars and that kind of stuff. So there's a there's a part of like ship battle. I remember the first time like when they started doing like ship battles in Star Trek, like, and I think it was on Deep Space Nine when uh, the whole like the it's kind of it's like about that whole that that whole sequence with the fleet of uh, the Federation fleet going like towards Deep Space Nine at the the season finale before, um, but like and they started they started having like ship battles and. On Deep Space Nine, they were they were able to like get in the Defiant and go to this planet and that planet and like still have that action element. And I think Battlestar doesn't have much of that anymore mm-hmm. after this. But that again, that's not a knock for. Oh, exactly. It. But I do think I, I but I do think like we had that stuff for like the Pegasus arc and we had it for this where we still had the action element and we just, it kind of just isn't really there anymore. It's still, again, I love dramas and I love other shows. It's not like it's not like it's a bad thing. Um, but we just, there the not, not very many explosions from here on out. But, uh, on colonial one, um, Tori and Rosalind are talking and Tori is having this moment with, uh, Tori's having a moment where she's like, yeah, we lost Maya. We don't know where she is. She really thinks that Ros- like she let Rosalind down. And Rosalind just kind of conveys a really important um, kind of meta idea. And she says, uh, this is much bigger than us, so it's not your fault. Um, this idea that destiny is in play, um, which kind of like explains away a lot of the uh, plot holes <laughs> for the show. Um, that she's holding a photo of maya and then the last shot that we have is adama we talked about clipping his mustache and kind of walking away there's some deleted scenes where he kind of talks about the uh like it's like oh we're back to work again stuff and for some reason i feel like they use this stuff later in the next episodes but i don't remember anyways that's the end of the episode so yeah i'm glad that they cut that scene out because it it, yeah it's like absolutely it where it ends with adama shaving off his mustache and like getting back to the Adama we knew. And then, and then what you wander down the halls and look at people getting settled and then just have a conversation on the, at the CIC and like telling Lee that, Hey, I'm going to have to demote you so that you can be the CAG again. Like that's a, yeah. Right. Like, like okay. Womp womp. <laughs> like what an ending. <laughs> so yeah, it was a good, it was a good, good uh point to stop the episode so yeah that's the uh, exodus part two yeah. yeah so was baltar the worst this week i mean i always say yeah i don't uh, think he i don't think he was i'm going leobon i'm going leobon for getting that last kiss yeah Ugh. <laughs> look i like katie Sockoff like the next guy but come on man there's a battle around what are you doing <laughs> who gets who gets full colors so for Lee, for me to explain full colors to you jason um mm. in their card game that they play when you have full colors it seems to be like a winning hand oh like a full house i don't know oh the i assumed it was is... i, I kind of got the like i assumed it was like a you know like the medal of honor or whatever yeah i i'm gonna you know what i'm giving it to the pegasus 
Okay. I gave it to the Adamas. Both of them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I say Lee. All right. Damn you, Lee. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Who would yeah, you... Like, Damn you, Lee. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you throw out the airlock? Um, uh... Don't don't hate me for this, Jamie. But I'm sorry. I'm 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 throwing out the airlock. Anders sleeveless shirt. <laughs> Does that mean he's not expo- wearing a shirt? Because I'm fine with that. Oh yes, that's exactly what it means. Okay, well then that's great. <laughs> His shirt can go. I said uh, all the Cylons, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> they all suck this week, except for Capricorn. Uh, mine is Ellen. Mine is Ellen tie. No, I'm just kidding. Poor Ellen. It's like the only time I'm ever <laughs> saying poor Ellen. Yeah, I just was like, this is the last time we'll, we'll get to say that for a while. So. Oh, no, I won't be saying poor Ellen her. when she comes back either. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely not Ellen. Anyway. Um, Who's your favorite Cylon? I, I got to go with um, Lucy Lawless, I think, for this one, just because she had the most to do. And I, and I always love a Lucy Lawless. Yeah, I couldn't pick one because I don't feel like any of them did anything significant. I agree with that. Like, even, like, Sharon, other than, like, hugging Hilo, we don't even see Sharon through all of this. Yeah, not at all. All I don't know. Okay. I got nothing. Uh, Diallo, do we have any new reviews? Uh, No, we don't have any new reviews, sadly. People don't don't like us. (laughs) Um, what the frack? <laughs> okay. To our guest, Jason, where can people find you? Uh, the easiest place you can find me online is I do a podcast that's weekly, Geek History Lessons on Apple Podcasts or geekhistorylesson.com. It's where we break down one character, one construct, or one show in a little bit less than an hour. Um, it's a bit of fun. We do lots of voices, but it's like really about diving into pop culture um, you know, histories. And you can find me or any of my books or comics and stuff like that at jasoninman.com. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I, you know, um, I'm glad that I got to appear during the mustachioed Adama era, which is my favorite Adama era. <laughs> yeah, we really is a really great avenue. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to be able to come back after your slander of Anders. Uh... <laughs> if he wears Anders. If he, he wears just... sleeves, I'm fine with him. I loved him on the Flander Fall of House of Usher, but like, put some <laughs> sleeves on. Come on. Look, how good is the Fall of House of Usher? So oh, good. That was really good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, you can come back for sure. We've got lots of high points coming up, too. So I mean, uh, I'll throw this out there. any particular episode. I, I mean, sometimes the notion is uh, one of my favorite episodes of television of all time. And it's probably one of the most hmm. depressing episodes of television that has ever been made. Uh, so if you're down, I'm down. Is that this season? I believe that's next season. Next season? Okay. Oh, is that the... Oh, I think I know which one that is. That is the... Uh, we, we, uh, we, we find the place where we think we're going and we're all depressed about it. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. that episode. <laughs> Has really beautiful music yeah. right before the that episode. That, <laughs> that's the the episode that could have been the series finale. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. That'll be sometime next year. Yeah. <laughs> no, it'll be that would be later this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'll be later this year. 
Uh, Diallo, where can people find you? All the usual spots. Uh, First Noel Chronicles. Uh, another review you didn't ask for. And um, you can find me on Twitter at The Armageddon. And not Twitter. Um, on Instagram at The Armageddon. And uh, I'll be out in these internet streets as usual. I can be found on Instagram at oh hey Jamie. Uh, it's still just a lot of cats, but that's fine. I like I like <laughs> my cat. She's very funny. And uh, if you want to listen to my past podcasting, it's on the Unspoiled Network, where I covered all kinds of things like Lost and The Punisher and Doctor Who and the Band Brothers. And next week will be Collaborators, where we get to finally be rid of that fucking jammer (laughs) (laughs) oh that guy (laughs) yes uh anything else guys thank you jason for being here any thank you again for having me last words no no i'm i'm i you know again like i'm i'm gonna miss that mustache I'm, I'm serious about that. He should have kept it. Edward James almost. I went to the uh, the WJ strike uh, last year, the Battlestar Galactica uh, sort of day, and there were a bunch of the people there. Edward James almost was there. I didn't get to meet him, but he was wearing that lovely, lovely mustache. Yeah. Edward James almost follows me on Twitter. Isn't that weird? He he must like the podcast. He's probably was... a listener. Hello, Edward. No, oh, it was... sorry, I'm sorry, Sir Almost. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was from years ago. Years ago. Like when I first started using Twitter, because I don't use it anymore. I have a Twitter account, but I never tweet. And like just randomly, he started following me. And I was like, did I talk? Did I tag him? Did I talk about Battlestar? I don't know what I was talking about, but I guess he found me interesting. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. Shoot him a DM, get him on the show. <laughs> Be so scared to do that. all right let's make it happen well until next week what do you hear nothing but the rain bye see ya You're listening to the Geekscape Network.